Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Hey folks, Tristan here with Panoramic Outdoors, wanting to welcome you to episode 150 of the podcast. We're super excited to be hitting episode 150, another milestone for the podcast, and we know we can't do it without you. So first and foremost, I want to thank our listeners for everything they've done, uh, whether it's been listening to this podcast, supporting us on social media, coming and seeing us at a trade show, buying our merch, Every little bit you do helps us grow the podcast, helps us get the word out, and helps us have some critical conversations around conservation, wildlife, fishing, hunting, all the things we love. On episode 150, I want to welcome Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor is not just the owner of Harvester Outdoors here in Selkirk, a supporter of the podcast. Huge thank you to Harvester, but also the front man for the Sean Taylor Band. Uh, We're going to have a lot of cool conversations around what it's like running a uh, hunting and fishing shop locally, running one in Manitoba here, running one in Selkirk, running one generally. Um, Also, like some really cool stories about what it means to be in a band, uh, you know, kind of discovering that on or getting, getting into the band later in life here, the band life that kind of thing. Uh, the Sean Taylor band are really starting to take off now with a few of their latest singles. We talk about that in the podcast as well. We were going to talk a little spring bear, but we didn't get around to it this one. Uh, that's okay. Maybe we'll get back to talking to Sean about uh, bear hunting or what that looks like. Really grateful that he finally came on the podcast with us. We finally managed to link up and Sean was able to provide a ton of insight as well. Some information on their commercial fishing. Really excited about it. Never really thought about it in that angle before. So I think this is one that you're going to enjoy. I think it's worth noting like Sean is might be like one of the most down to earth people that I've ever met. You'll get that instantly if you ever walk through the door of the store there, um, or even if you just call and chat with him. He does business all across uh, Canada for his commercial side, so he's used to serving like a, a wide customer base. Um, really exciting stuff, and also interesting stuff from the commercial side. Like, like I said, things that I haven't thought about before. I won't keep you much longer on here, but uh, again, I just want to thank Sean and the team at Harvester for supporting the podcast. Be sure to check them out. I want to thank the fans, everyone who's listened here, the supporters, people that even just have uh, helpful messages for us at Panoramic. I think 150 is a big, big one for us, and we're going to look forward to creating just more content that is meaningful for everyone out there and stuff that maybe pushes the conversation forward. So thanks again, and I hope you enjoy episode 150. Well, we're sitting down here live for one of the first in-person podcasts we've had in a while, and I, I want to welcome to the podcast from Harvester Outdoors and the Sean Taylor Band, Sean Taylor. Sean, welcome to the, the Panoramic Outdoor Podcast. Thank you. It's <laughs> very exciting. I feel like it's been a long time coming. Oh, man. No, that's just super excited to be here, especially in this wonderful basement. Oh, yeah. Can you... <laughs> it's awesome. Sean... I don't think we've made reference to the basement before on the... How? Po- yeah, I know. 
We've had a few people in here before, but <laughs> Sean, Sean's in my basement right now. Sean, can you set the scene for us? I'm madly in love. <laughs> I want to say early mid seventies ish with yeah. a touch of the eighties. Uh, yeah. A lot of wood paneling carpet that would make any grown man jealous. It is beautiful. Other than it being plaid, man, I could crush some plaid carpet. That would be pretty slick, but this is pretty great too. And like the bar has these wonderful lights carved in the side. I don't know. It's hearts, clubs, diamond. Maybe there were card players previously here or at least really into crib or something. Yeah, there, there's definitely some themes, and one of the ones I speculate about is whether the previous owners were swingers or not. We don't have definitive proof on that. <laughs> Thank I, God. Either way, but there's, there's some strong hints. Could you imagine opening the cold storage is just tapes? Oh. Well, you got to watch it. you got yeah, to watch one. We're, what are those hooks for? <laughs> I wonder if they hung meat down here. Well, they're hanging some sort of meat. <laughs> <laughs> no, that went off the rails quick. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's how we got our R rating on uh, perfect on Podbean. That's about time. Yeah. <laughs> um. Obviously, you're familiar with the podcast, so there's there's no way we let you get out of here without answering a few burners. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Are you set? Yeah. Whatever. Fire away. Okay. I didn't study or practice, so yeah. You know, it's it would be Actually, if if Sheldon was on the on the podcast you you would know for sure he would ask you um what's your last meal and uh, what what band would you see alive or dead but since i just saw your face on that one maybe i will ask you that one but um we'll see here the first one's gonna be uh wh where's your favorite spot to put your feet up oh it's it's at the lake we've got a cottage in bird river and uh either in the winter in front of the wood stove or in the summer out on the porch do you time. do you get to put your feet up? Because sometimes I feel like with cabins, like it it can be a, a yeah, bit of a challenge. Yeah, it's a sometimes. second house. Yeah, it's a second house for sure. So there's a lot, and it's an older cabin that needs a lot of love. Um, but it's my only kind of. I mean, you you know the schedules and stuff that life can throw at you between kids and businesses and everything. So I uh, don't get a lot of time. So when we are up there, I try to make sure that you know five o'clock's quitting time. Sometimes two, <laughs> you know. We get a little bit of time to put our feet up and relax and just kind of enjoy being there all together because kids are getting older now too. We don't want to miss out on the little bit of downtime you get. So, I command you, man. Like I always, I fantasize about a cottage, but I also know how like busy my mind would be mm -hmm. when I'm out there, like yeah. about the next project and the next like. Yeah, I can't look anywhere without being like, "Oh, I gotta fix that." <laughs> To be fair, that is true, but yeah. you know. it does need fixing, but not not this not weekend. at this exact moment. <laughs> we do try to kind of pre-plan program, pre-plan our kind of what we're doing that weekend. That goes a long way. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you the band question, but this this <laughs> is a close second. Uh, so, like, if you were driving down a uh, back road or any road in particular, maybe a Transcona road, like, what sure. would be the what would be the best song to come on the radio? Oh man, that changes a lot for me a lot of the time. You you can't pick your own songs. Just no, I would never. I would never. I honestly, and I don't know if this is normal. I mean, maybe you've had a lot of musicians around, so I I don't. I'm not crazy about listening to our stuff. Okay, I, yeah. I love it. Yeah, but I'm not. I, it makes me a little weirded out. It's like I, I would never wear my own band T-shirt. You know what I mean? 
as I sit here in a harvester hoodie. Yeah, but it's yeah, not the yeah. same. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit. Well, yeah. It feels a little yeah. weird, but <laughs> it's just free clothing, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, it, best it, best record, man. I grew up when we were hunting as kids and like back roads and stuff with my uncle and, and my dad and stuff. It was always cowboyography with Ian Tyson. Oh. So that whole album. <laughs> That whole album, even now going to the lake, if it's like we just started bear season, right? So yeah. load up the trailer, load up the side-by-side, all the bait, hit the highway, put on cowboyography because it just feels right, you know? I have a few friends that would uh, want to hug you for dropping that uh, album. It's, it's, it's the greatest Canadian country album ever made. Yeah. And I don't know if any of us will ever get close to it, but it's just so different too. It, it it's wonderful. We just lost uh, Ian there. Mm-hmm. Like this is it the past year there? Yeah, or? recently. Yeah, like maybe a couple months. It, I mean, time's a weird shifting thing when you're <laughs> our age and there's kids and all that. But like, yeah, it feels like maybe just a few months ago. Yeah. Well, good thing he left a legacy of music to kind of mm-hmm. like music and poetry too. Yeah. He's an avid cow- cowboy poet and some really great writing outside of the great albums that we all know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I actually I came across some like in a in a a weird it's not a weird way really, but like I I'm a huge Corb Blood fan too. Yeah. And like Corb yeah. is just like almost like a disciple of yep. of Ian in some ways, right? Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, it's it's cool to watch those two guys collaborate when they did there and stuff like that. Yeah, we're lucky they crossed paths too before they couldn't. So, yeah. <laughs> they made some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. God bless. Um, next question here. Mm-hmm. The one that got away, and it can be anything, because I know it's it's not like Angie didn't get away on you there. So nope, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few guests answer like some big bucks once in a while. Uh, I get that, but I never see big bucks because I'm <laughs> not that good at this. Um, you know, honestly, it's probably not for me because I mean, as you know, as a father and stuff, you you start watching your kids come up through this. My oldest is seventeen, Jacob, and uh, his first year bear hunting. We're sitting in our stand in Bird River, and he's all jacked up. And I mean, he's he's young, and he's he was get into archery, but not good enough to be flinging arrows at bears. Um, had all his tags, everything organized. He's got his gun license, so we took out the thirty thirty, and we're sitting there in this absolute. I'd already filled my tag on. Uh, I'm gonna call it a decent bear. Yeah, it was a good bear. I mean, it was it was a good barbecue all summer, you know. So, um, and then he's sitting there. We're watching this little bear at the bait, and the biggest bear I've ever seen in the flesh walked out. I mean, and I don't, I haven't seen a lot of big bears, but it was the biggest one we'd ever seen. Yeah. We were pretty geeked. Yeah. Um, and it walked in front of him and it was staring at the other bear and I go, okay, anytime, go ahead, go ahead. Uh. And he goes, click, click. And I look and I'm like, oh, you forgot to cock the hammer. I'm like, cock the hammer. And he goes, shit. And that bear looked right up at him. <laughs> And then no. buggered off, and we never saw the bear on camera again. No. Yeah. That was the one that hurt. Because all I kept thinking is, man, this kid is like, he's 16. How great would that have been? You know, like, that one haunts me. Oh, man. And that's on me, not on him. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Two yeah. things, well, I shouldn't say totally, but two things, like, one, it's so odd because, like, I've been in the stand with bears around, too, and sometimes you can't get rid of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they, they'll they look at you, and you make a noise, and they'll come closer to check you yeah. out. It's always the sows and the young boars. Yeah. It's just, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you got something up there? You get to watch a sow and her cubs for four hours after dark because you can't get down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Text to the yeah. wife, I'm not going to make dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, not to mention, like, the, the climb down, how thrilled you are about, like, 
Oh, I mean, there, there might be a, a bear. Yeah. She just... left. I wonder how far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how... Hopefully farther than my truck. Yeah, I'm going to make a lot of noise. <laughs> yeah. Um, But you kind of just exposed me to a whole new level of, like, grief there. Thinking of, like, yeah, I've... I can think of animals in my mind that I've missed very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I can't imagine the, <laughs> yeah. the anguish of yeah, because you 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 watch how disappointed they are, but then you realize it. I mean, you're the one teaching them. Yeah, you know, if 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 the last thing I'd said to him when we got in the stand is, "Okay, remember how this gun works, right? We went we went over it before we went in. Yeah, he shot it before at the range. You know, he's safe gun handler, and I should have been like, don't forget the hammer." Because there's multiple safeties on a lever action, thirty thirty, right? So like, yeah. like don't forget the hammer, don't forget to squeeze the, you know. And I didn't, and it cost us. <laughs> We've been chasing that one for a while, so. I feel like the thirty thirty is a um, like there's a lot of learning in that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of lessons in that that firearm. Yeah, that's why I, my boys always go like you know pellet gun, twenty two. Usually a four ten for chickens, and then the thirty thirty is the first big, big yeah. one that they get introduced to. And once they, we have a little bit of a tradition. I mean, it's it's only one kid deep now, but including myself, I guess, so two of us, and we have another young one coming up at eight. Joey's only eight, so like he's not there yet. He's at like you know twenty two shooting cans stage. But once they shoot and harvest an animal with the thirty thirty, I buy them a thirty thirty. Oh wow! That's their, their it's their gift that Christmas or whatever. So Jacob shot his first bear last year with the thirty thirty, my thirty thirty, and so then I sick Adam Herman's firearms harvester outdoors. Yeah, Don't yeah, forget, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sick Adam, uh, I sick Adam on it. I'm like, look, I need a, a good old Winchester. No Find me way. An old one. And it takes no a while. Way. And we we siphon through them. They come into the shop and we just start going through them. Nope, this one rattles too much. This one's too loose because the older. Winchester's could be a little loosey goosey sometimes, right? Yeah. So, and then he 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 found me a beautiful one this year for Jacob. So we got that for him for Christmas, a little plate that you know has his name. And the year he shot his first big game animal on it, and I just it's doing those little things that I know when I'm gone will mean something to them. They'll have that gun, and maybe they'll their son or daughter will take it on too. And you have to do those things. You know, my uncle and my dad and stuff. They all that meant a lot to all them. So. You know, I think that's one of the values of our outdoor life that we live. It's not just as great as getting outdoors and everything is like leaving that legacy with them so they can remember it later on, you know? Yeah. It's interesting too, because, um, you know, the, the firearm that I still hunt with in most rifle seasons right now is like a, a Remington bolt that my dad got me when I was 16. Nice. Um, and it's it's not a great firearm, like sure. Yeah. Um, but the way they manufacture those things at that point in time, they were so consistent that yep. this thing drives tacks yep. somehow. Shoots all the time, and you could paddle a canoe with it. Yeah, it's fine. What I like, <laughs> what I like, a nicer firearm. Absolutely, I I can't really afford one right now. But um, the the thirty thirty has always been a gun that like I've like really I I've had my uncle lend me one for mm-hmm. a while, and it's just like. It's a solid firearm, yep. and it does solid round hits hard, especially when you're in the bush. Yeah, like that's it, why we use it for bear. Yeah, because it's close quarters. Because I bow hunt, right? So yeah. we're always 30, 40 yards out, and yeah. there's no point in digging out my seven mm for that. No, you don't. Like, it doesn't you don't, make any sense. The you don't need the range. Yeah, you don't need the and, and iron sights un- with the kids. And it's unwieldy too, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's goofy, and they're big guns with long barrels. Those thirty thirties are short. 
a lot of guys take a, a short pump shotgun or something in for bear defense, mm-hmm. and I take my the thirty thirty goes with us most of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a great gun, and I mean, again, iron sights. When I'm teaching the kids, they they know how a scope works. That's easy once they get iron sights figured out. A scope is like second nature to anybody, yeah, so. yeah. And then you get you get the feel. Uh, I feel like you get the feel of like a cheek weld a little better mm-hmm. with the the iron sights and yeah, all you these can like adjust a little the fundamentals. Yeah. Kentucky windage. Yeah. Well, and I'm not, I mean, I'm no shooter either. Like again, as a bow hunter, I don't, I don't, uh, there's a lot of gun guys that hang around the shop obviously because we got that amazing guns, guns shop in there, but I don't, I'm always watching them talk about it going, I don't know, man, I'd never shoot anything that isn't inside 60. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Cause I just hunt yeah. differently. Right. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And that makes sense for me too. Right. Like I was thinking the same thing, like my, the gun I hunt with is a 300 wind mag. Mm-hmm. And if you're tree stand hunting most of the time, like that's too much gun. Even yeah. even a hundred yards for a whitetail, like the thirty thirty is going to treat you just fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I shot a nice whitetail um, with a thirty thirty a few years back, and it did a great job at sixty. Yeah. And the bear that Jacob shot with that with that thirty thirty flipped it over backwards, and it went all the ten yards. Yeah. And just down right there. It was the easiest retrieve yeah. of a bear I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, it's a great round, great gun. Yeah. And I like old stuff. Yeah. Well, and you think yeah. about like passing stuff down yeah. and like that is something you would, that can carry legacy as you, you kind yeah. of talked about, right? Yeah. And I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is in me that that stuff's so valuable to me. I mean, I know a lot of us are like that, but like guitars and guns mm-hmm. get passed down mm-hmm. for me. And that's always huge. Like the only guitars I play live are my grandfather's and my dad's. Um, not just because they're great guitars, but there's something about it, you know, like old guitars sound usually better if they're well looked after. So, mm-hmm. um, especially those real old ones, but yeah. like my Martin is as old as my lever action Winchester. So, yeah. <laughs> Someone told me Willie Nelson was 90 and I didn't believe them. And then yeah, I, it was his 90th birthday just recently. I right? Googled it and I could not believe it. Did you see the party he threw? No, I didn't. He threw know. a giant concert <laughs> for like a weekend. I was like, man. That yeah. would have been really fun to get that gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like everyone was on that thing, man. It was wild. Yeah. It would have been a hoot. He's a character, man. Willie's Tips to Live to 90 is a book I would read. Yeah, like well, it's pretty short. It <laughs> <laughs> starts with a puff. <laughs> that guy is amazing. He's he's so under, I know he's not underrated, but like the average country listener would think of Willie Nelson and just be like, on the road again. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, you got to go deep. Yeah. There's so much jazz and blues and stuff, and his his guitar playing is incredible. Yeah. He's amazing. Well, and that's what made me think, you're talking about old guitars, and I was watching, like, some of Willie's latest stuff, and he's got not one but two holes in his guitar. Yeah, he's still working Trigger to death. Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable. <laughs> and he called his guitar Trigger. How great is that? Yeah, like, I know. awesome. Actually, I nicknamed my, the guitar I got from my dad, I named Trigger, too. And it's not that old. It's like a 78. Yamaki yeah. or whatever, an eighty something Yamaki, but it's blonde on blonde on blonde, like it looks like a Palomino horse. Yeah, so it just made sense. That's <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. This might be a tough one though, too. Sure. Something or someone that inspires you. Hmm. There's a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it depends on what walk of life I'm working in at the moment. You know, when we're talking about my business, I have. You know, my uncle Steve and my uncle Ted um, have a had a construction company. My uncle Steve has it now, and like 
their business knowledge and the hard work they put in building that thing is kind of something I model myself after. When it comes to the music, it's really easy to get frustrated in, in music, um, especially as, I, I don't know if it's just my attitude or, I don't know, as being a front man or whatever. Sometimes I get, I get really, uh, I can get really down on a gig. They could be, they're all great. The band's incredible, so every gig goes well. But sometimes if it's not going exactly the way I want it, I can get real pissy, and I try not to be like that because that's like every lead singer, ha- oh, he's one of those guys. <laughs> like, well, I try not to be like that. But the guys that I'm surrounded by are, are incredibly inspiring, like the musicians, like Greg Dunstan, Sean Borden, um, Jeff Kula, of course, who's been like, uh, Jeff and I have been working together for 30 years now, and I'm, well, I guess not that long. I'm only 37. So 20 years, I, my math sucks. But he was my high school band teacher. That's how I ended up playing with him. Yeah. So he's a massive inspiration. James and Blaine also, James Klaus and Blaine Baduke. Like, their spirit for making music makes it even more fun for me. So those days when I'm super tired, you know, I'm, I'm, I've just got off work or I did something stupid, like I went bear hunting Thursday night and then work on Friday and then I'm at the bar Friday night at 10 p.m. and I miss my wife and kids and stuff. Um, those guys always kind of get my spirit up and get me wanting to get out there and do it again. That's for sure. And then, you know, just, I mean, it's, it's about being a good parent and stuff. I mean, probably my mom. I and mean, she raised us by herself, so. Um, and I could not have been an easy kid to have, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I try to just think of all how, I mean, she was hard on us being a single mom, so it was tough love, but... I try to always think about, okay, what would she have done in this situation and how can I be yeah. a better parent with patience and, you know, love at the same time. So that's kind of probably, but those are the three walks of life that I live, right? So there has to be different <laughs> people for everything. <laughs> to, dra- to draw <laughs> yeah. from, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, okay, last one here. Then uh, we're looking at, and this this might be an easy one, but mm-hmm. do, you, do you have a comfort food or like is you got to go to? Yeah, I mean, I, I cook a lot. So that's my favorite thing to do when I'm relaxing is just throw, get in the kitchen and get it, get it going on. So I love fried chicken, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm horrible for it. I was it. just thinking oh, about fried chicken too. I am like an aficionado. <laughs> I, I've okay. tried every crap fried chicken from Nova Scotia all the way to BC. I've yeah. tried them all. There used to be a website that I was a very big, I'm not a big part of, but a big poster on where all the musicians that I knew anyways in kind of Western Canada and stuff, all the bar band guys, not, I wouldn't, you know, obviously Kiss wasn't on it, but like all of us like regular guys, there was like a, a whole webpage where we would discuss different chicken chefs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like back, you know, not like pre-Facebook, it was like a website where you could go on and be like, is this chicken chef safe? Is this one good? You know, because some of them, uh, you know, some of these towns in the middle of nowhere, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. You don't know who's running them. Um, and this one's amazing. Make sure you get this, you know, like that. And, man, I love fried chicken so much. Chase would fancy himself the, I don't want to say connoisseur, but the discerner of uh, not Chicken Chef, but uh, with Chester's there. Chess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I get he, that. So he would... He knew the the good gas station chicken spot. You got to know those spots. That's important. You spend a lot of time on the highway too, especially. I knew a guy who I used to travel a lot with who could literally eat a bucket of chicken while driving. (laughs) I don't know how he did that because I can't. I got to stop. But Yeah, Yeah, your steering wheel takes a bit of a beating if you're... Yeah, it was kind of (laughs) gross. Plus, you're always covered in like fried chicken grease and stuff. (laughs) Get out of your car at the next gas station looking horrible, but not that you look good anyways after a long ride. But you want to know a dirty secret though? 
best fried chicken I think I've had yeah, to date. Yeah. I was going to ask you. God, it's oh, I can't believe it's going to be public. Seven Eleven Day and Regent. No way. Transcona. Okay. I know it doesn't make any sense. It's always. I mean, I haven't had it probably in six months. I don't know. Things change. Yeah. But man, that fried chicken is unreal. And I know it looks like it's been sitting there a long time. That's the mojo. You need that mojo. It's oh, yeah. something just about the, it that just, just don't in. get the chicken on the stick though. You might as well just eat salt okay. or MSG. But like their fried chicken is really good for the price, especially. So yeah, I hate to say it, man. We were talking to Frida Prowl there, mm-hmm. and he spends a lot of time on the road, and yeah. he was he was real keen on a lot of the gas station, like the Seven Eleven style. You got to know, yeah. So maybe maybe they got something going on there. I haven't. I, I'll confess, I haven't had the Seven Eleven fried chicken, so I For can't sure. weigh in on it. But I don't know if it is this way now. But when I when I was younger, I worked uh, when I got out of one of my stints in university and college. I uh, I worked for a flooring company, like tiling and that kind of stuff. And we worked on like the Seven Eleven corporate kitchen. Mm-hmm. That is the cleanest, tightest ship I've ever seen ever in yeah. all my years working in kitchens, like tiling yeah. and all that. They were awesome. So was, I'm, I know it's a, it's a 7-Eleven. How great could their food be? It's really good. It's shocking. Yeah. And I mean, it probably breaks my wife's heart that I keep saying how good 7-Eleven chicken is to everyone who asks me. And I'm like, she's like, can you pick a nice place? <laughs> does, does she cook the fried chicken ever? Or no, no, no I'm, a fr- I'm, the, I'm the fried chicken guy. Okay. Get yeah, that yeah, cast yeah, iron yeah, yeah. pan out and let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, but we're always, we're always kind of honing. I always make this joke. They're like, someday I'm going to own a bar. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. But I someday I'm gonna own a bar, and like, so I'm always okay. I got to make the best wings. Figure that out. Okay, these are great wings. Family loves them. Good. Let's make the best burgers. Figure that out. You know, I'm always trying to do that. And we yeah. just this is the year of the fried chicken. So okay, I stopped ordering. Now we're working on recipes. Interesting. And you know, we stuff. should talk. Chase and I were always talking about making like a bourbon bar. Yeah. I just yeah. don't know if I could put the hours in, but like a little bourbon, a little barbecue. <laughs> I know, right? You know what? I I should. I should put this out in the world because I'm never going to do it. Maybe you boys will do it, no, and I'll be there to support you. But I doubt it. I'll tell you what the city of Selkirk truly needs. Thai food. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, other than a marina. God, give yeah. us a marina. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. We need a, a good barbecue joint out there. Oh, totally. The town would love that. Yeah. People would eat that up. Oh, man. Like a good one. Well, and Not we, Montana's. Yeah. No, no disrespect to no, Montana's, no. but that ain't no barbecue joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be pretty cool to see. Yeah. We were also thinking even like that there was that little spot just off Netley Creek there. Um, and so anyone who's not from Manitoba, uh, Netley Creek is just like this tributary off of Lake Winnipeg of some some way. And like, yeah, I think it, well, obviously it comes off of the Red River, right? Yeah. And just, just north of Selkirk, so. Yeah. Got a barbecue joint. <laughs> no, no. But my mom always said I shouldn't own a bar because then I just drink my profits. She's not wrong. I'd never leave. <laughs> You'd have a lot of friends. Yeah, exactly. That's the other problem. You think owning a bait and tackle shop's tough? <laughs> if you're listening to this episode, we know you love local, and so do we. That's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op. Co-op is in over 600 communities across Western Canada with over 2 million members. Co-ops are a member driven organization that serve the local community you can check out co-ops for all your food fuel home and construction as well as agricultural needs a membership costs you ten dollars to get in and you're going to see that back in equity you don't need a membership to shop at co-op 
but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly your say and how that company runs. For groceries, if you want to shop online, you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets. There's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across Western Canada and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plant, large or small, and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada, voted the cleanest bathrooms, they have full service at most locations, and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way in not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products, including crop inputs and feed that Co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. Uh, let's let's talk about the bait and tackle shop. Yeah, so for you, sure, man. You've, you, so you've got an established and and one well-run institution there in Selkirk, uh, yeah, Manitoba, um, but that that was something you bought into and yeah i've been with harvester for 12 or 13 years something like that i can't remember um and then i so i worked there as when it was like it was harvester fishnet company in selkirk and all we did was commercial fishing um which was really cool because i had no background in it at all i had no clue how even a gill net worked when i started there i was just answering phones um but you it's such a fascinating business and a fascinating culture and world that I don't think most people really know or understand. So getting into it was really fun. Learning about it was fun. Unfortunately, at the time, uh, around 2016 or so, um, the owner of the place uh, w- was getting pretty elderly. Like he was in his 80s, and he was trying to sell it to everybody, anybody that would come look at it. And I kept thinking, like, I'm the only, well, there's only like two employees at the time. It was me and Robert, who's still with me today. And I kept thinking, man, if he sells this to the wrong people, I'm going to be out of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or worse, yeah, working yeah, for somebody yeah. horrible, right? Um, and so I just, I, I got it in my head one day. I was out for lunch with my brother-in-law, and he's like, why don't you just, like, buy the place? I'm like, oh, there's no way I could buy this, you mm-hmm. know. But talked to a few people, talked to my uncles, and they're like, yeah, you just put together a business plan, go see a bank. And I thought, there's no way. There's no way anyone's going to let me do this. Mm-hmm. And they did. 2017, August 1st. Actually, we were overseas on a vacation. How, how old were you when, when this was going down? 2017. I'm 37 now. I don't know, 33, 34. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was six years ago. So, yeah, 31, 32. Yeah. We just had, Joey was like two. Wow. Jacob was, I don't know, 13 or whatever. Yeah. So, 12. I don't know. I can't, man, math is not a great thing when I'm this, when it's this late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm only half a beer in. So, no. <laughs> I, um, but, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a giant leap of faith. Angie and I discussed it at length, and then we just thought, well, let's give it a shot, see what happens. I always, I mean, being my own boss is great. There's a lot of really good parts to it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of 
crap parts to it, but that's the gamble, right? There's a give and take to things. Yeah. A lot of people would kill to have my flexibility and, you know, control of their own destiny to some degree, to some degree, I should say. But, um, yeah. So 2017, we bought the place and it was still just commercial fishing. That's all we did. Nets, importing, exporting, um, bringing in rope, all that kind of stuff, supplying the commercial fishery. Um, and just kind of pre COVID maybe a year or two, Mm -hmm. I don't know. A year, I don't know. Um, we kind of started dabbling in some other stuff that I'm passionate about, fishing for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, mostly because, oh, well, we're, we've got an, a dealership with an auger company. Well, they sell tents. Okay, well, we'll do that. Well, then we might as well sell some ice fishing rods or whatever, you know. Yeah. The next thing you know, the place is full of tackle and rods and mm -hmm. tents and all that. And COVID was a great time to be in that industry. You know, everyone was getting outside, going fishing. It was awesome. It was really great to, especially angling. That was a huge thing. But then myself, and especially our commercial fishing customers, uh, they all hunt for the most part. A lot of them hunt. Trapping yeah. and hunting is a big part of that. Um, so we kind of tackled some more hunting stuff, got into the firearms industry. Actually, that's probably my favorite part. Was I'll be, I, be honest with you. I was at a local store in Selkirk that also sells ammunition. <laughs> There's only two of us. Figure it out. <laughs> Do the math yourself. Yeah. I like to say everyone there wearing the same colored shirts is just walking fast so they don't have to help me. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody, but like it's hard, especially in the ammunition department. I was standing there for like 25 minutes while they found the one guy who could open that cabinet to get yeah, me a box yeah. of 22 shells. Yeah. It's like, this is stupid. Yeah. And in my typical Johnson fashion, I went back to the shop and started researching how to get my firearms distribution, like my sales license, right? Yeah. So, so we had to like pull a few pieces together and, and get okayed and the CFO and all of them came down and helped us kind of work through it. And then we got into the business of ammunition and firearms and all that. So that seems like quite a, quite a trip. I, I, I want to go like go back to the mm -hmm. start and yeah. like when you were like discussing this at the, the kitchen table or whatever, mm -hmm. like did you, you were confident that you could make a, a run at this thing or like no. what was <laughs> No, not at all. Not at all. Um, honestly, I, I probably would have chickened out at any point if it hadn't been, uh, Angie has an amazing amount. My wife, Angie, um, has an amazing amount of confidence in me that I've never had in myself. Um, when Angie and I met 12 or 13 years ago, whatever it is, I was an unemployed musician living in my mom's basement and all I did was play guitar have way too much fun you know as a 24 year old guitar player would do you know like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was uh it was a hell of a life um but it wasn't fun you know what i mean meeting angie she had her son jacob who i consider my oldest um and immediately it was like we're living in a bachelor apartment behind the dirty curdy in winnipeg mm. with a four-year-old part-time it was like okay well this isn't working we got to get a house well, you're not working. She was working part-time because she had her son. Yeah. So, like, you get a mortgage for, I don't know, $85,000. Well, good luck finding anything in Winnipeg that isn't already falling down. Mm -hmm. And that's how we ended up in Selkirk, to be honest with you. We found a house we could afford in Selkirk that was really nice. And we got lucky. So, we, we they took our offer. We moved out there. We started working on the house. The day we moved into our house, a friend of mine called and said, you're going to be looking for work out there. I'm like, yeah, I need a job. It's bad. And they're like, this place Harvester is hiring for, like, someone to answer phones. I'm like okay no way they're like yeah uh, i know one of the guys i think they knew someone who was helping with bookkeeping or something there they're like go down and check it out 
Oh, that was it. My buddy Wes is, uh, well, now wife Jody was doing books and stuff, helping out there. And she's like, well, they need somebody bad. Get down there. So I w- literally in my like moving clothes, all covered in crap, went down there, talked to the guys. They're like, yeah, okay, you start Monday. See you then. Cool. And now I own the place. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the quickest A to C that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's, that's wild. But yeah, you're right. There was very little, uh, I had no idea if we could do it. I still don't. I still don't. It's that small business. I don't know if you ever know you've got it together. I know guys who have multi, multi million dollar construction companies and stuff that don't sleep. Yeah. They get three hours a night. They're just constantly thinking about who's screwing what up, what's happening, are they gonna make it? I mean, and not only when you own your own business, like I guess if you're a solo electrician or so I don't know if that even exists, a solo plumber, whatever, and it's your paycheck and you're worried about you, that that is tough. I'm I find I worry more about the people that work for me. Yeah, yeah. Payroll's coming. Make sure those checks come in. Make sure everything's getting taken care of. No, I don't know if anybody ever thinks they've got it together when they own their own business. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Tell you the truth. Yeah, and even just like thinking, but it, it's a huge leap though. Like you, you like I'm sure yeah. you know. Like just. yeah, gamble of the century. <laughs> to tell you the truth, yeah. And I had lots of good advisors and stuff, but like yeah. It's, but you you kind of slide your chips on the table at that absolutely, point. Absolutely. Absolutely. You sign your life over. Yeah. Because, like, if it fails, what do you do? Yeah. You know, and, like, no one's going to give you a giant loan to buy a company without being like, all right, sign your house. Yeah. Okay, so now I got a wife, two young children, a house we just bought a f- year or two before. Yeah. And we're going to buy a company that we we're pretty confident in. In an industry that I've always been fairly confident in until maybe 12 months after I bought it, and then it all went to hell. And we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's kind of been a screwball, crazy ride ever since, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to I wanna ask, too, just, like, mm-hmm. around, like, the, the business itself now seems to be You've hinted at maybe some bumps there, but like oh, yeah. the the growth in in Harvester, like there's there's been an evolution to it. There's yep. at least there's like you've identified how the the recreational sides come in strong. Mm-hmm. You've got the the firearm side coming in now. There, yep. Um, are you kind of is the store kind of at a spot where you you feel like you're offering like a like a wider range of things to community now at this point in time? I mean, I think we'd like to. Everything costs money. That's always the thing, right? Yeah. You know, you want you want to carry this and be in this, you know, you want to be the angling business. Okay, well, it's not just some pickerel rigs and bait, you know, like you've got to have everything. And it's, there's never a day goes by that somebody doesn't come in and say, do you have this? And mm-hmm. I don't have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the time we do, but there's always somebody every day that goes, hey, do you got this? I have no clue what you're talking about, but I'll look into it, you know? Yeah. You just can't, we're not, we're not a big league store, you know? Yeah. So I want to dig in there just a bit mm-hmm. for a second and like, cause you know, we've on the consumer side, I, I've had the experience of mm-hmm. both like the, the big, the large box style yeah, for kind sure. of outdoor store. And then there's like the, mm-hmm. the, uh, more local shops. Like what, what's that like on the local end to like have to kind of be in the same, not the same market per se, but. Oh, like, you, you are. Like we're competing for space with Amazon and Cabela's. Yeah, yeah. And Canadian Tire and yeah. Walmart. Yeah. For which sure. sucks in Selkirk, by the way. But, <laughs> um, And then the, you can always provide a more personal and experienced 
experience in a smaller store. Mm-hmm. You go to Heartland or Heights for your archery equipment or, or Allen, you know, to get your bow set up or whatever, and you get a really personal experience. Mm-hmm. There's only got a handful of employees. You kind of know everybody when you get in there. Um, and, and that's how we try to run our shop because we're never going to be one of the big dogs, right? Yeah. Um, I would say, especially this year, and I'm sure, I mean, a lot of people kind of ask me about it. We, we are, we're shrinking some of our lines. We are shrinking on purpose some of our angling lines. Right. And people have asked me about that. Like, why, why, why are you selling all this angling tackle so cheap and stuff? Well, good luck swinging a cat in Selkirk and not hitting a tackle shop right now. <laughs> yeah. There's like 12 of us. If you if you include like Matlock and Lockport and uh, Red River Cats, Cats and Red, I can't, I can't remember what it turned into. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are awesome. they got a beautiful shop too. Yeah. Um, and all these amazing stores are all servicing the angling industry because in COVID it was booming. Right. It ain't booming anymore. Not at the same level, eh? No, not even close because everybody bought everything. Yeah. And if, if you're struggling to make ends meet and your interest rates are through the roof, you're, you're going to come in and buy bait, but you're probably not going to buy that rod you don't need. Mm-hmm. Some, better, some of us still do. Like, yeah, don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm for sure going to do that. Some risky <laughs> like, I'm an idiot. But, uh, you know, but like a lot, of, a lot of people will come in and look at them and go, ah, man, I mean, you know, it's a really good deal, but I just don't need that. Yeah. You know, and now it's now a, it's a need want thing. Yeah. Um, everybody keeps saying there's no free money running around anymore because COVID's over. I'm like, well, yeah, but I don't think that was it. I think it was just the circumstance of what we were in. People couldn't go anywhere and they remembered about fishing and hunting and all these things that they loved doing previously. I thought a lot of new anglers came online though too. Like I think I so too. Because it's very accessible, especially yeah. ice fishing, right? Well, and that some, first winter, some, some people took a risk too. I think just yeah. kind of like they thought, like I started sourdough, which was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> My risk was making old bread. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. I love sourdough, but it, it, it didn't go well. No, it didn't go well. Uh, but like I think people also took a risk and said, yeah. like, hey, let's try this ice fishing thing. Yeah, and, and, it's the only thing we could do. Yeah, or or they everybody had. I think there was a lot of people who had a buddy who was just like, well, I, I can still go ice fishing. Why don't yeah. you just come ice fishing? Yeah. Well, what do I need? Oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> what don't you need? <laughs> well, you can go out there without this. Yeah. <laughs> you can for sure just go out there and hope this works, but you're going to be cold and miserable. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and so I think there was a big boom in the industry. Everybody was getting business like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just bait. Like I said, people would come in for a tub of minnows and they'd buy hundred dollars worth of lures and leave. Um, and we've seen that, I don't want to say stagnate, but it certainly dropped off quite a bit. Um, foot traffic's still there, but it's mostly bait mm-hmm. for angling. Like they still buy stuff, but it's, it's nothing like it was. And we kind of knew, I kind of knew that was coming as COVID ended. I was like, yeah, so we didn't, we scaled back our purchasing quite a bit yeah. just so we weren't overloaded. Like, cause if you, if you're a corporation, like some of the big ones and you, you look at your models and you go, okay. Well, for the past three years, we've been scaling up like crazy. Your shareholders don't want to hear you tell them you're going to make less money next year, so you just keep scaling. Right. And next thing you know, you've got a, I don't know, 20,000 square foot department store that's full, and there's 12 people in it. Right. On the average Thursday or whatever, right? Like, I mean, obviously big day sales and stuff's not that way, but like, it's a dangerous game for some of those big dogs, and uh, no different than the small stores, too. But I guess what I'm getting at is like there's a lot of great tackle shops. Like Smoke and Fish, Lee and those guys run a great shop. Um, Matlock's great. Uh, they're just starting up, but they've got a good thing going that's real close to the ice fishing out there. 
Lockport General Store is amazing. I don't know how much tackle they have these days. I haven't been there in a while. About mostly, the same. Mostly they just sneak in there for the liquor store. Yeah. Because <laughs> they got a great liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> the liquor selection is definitely a lot wider than that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that's okay. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, look at it. The, those general stores and gas stations, too, is kind of the model we have is like, okay, well, we'll carry some tackle and bait. But, like, we also have our net business and stuff mm-hmm. that keeps us moving. Um, which was kind of the flip in COVID because there was a brief stint there where the commercial fishery was like non-existent because yeah. most of our fish in this province goes to restaurants. Yeah. Restaurants closed, no fish. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank God we had angling and hunting and stuff that we could sell and keep busy and keep the lights on, keep the guys working and employees happy and stuff. And then we end up with coming out of it where it's kind of the flip side. So I think our goal over the next 18 to 24 months, as we've discussed it as a team, is to start. Obviously, we will always service our commercial fishing clients first and foremost. They are our big business. And then we're going to be doing more hunting. We've got a tremendous amount of ammunition coming in and a lot in stock right now. Which, by the way, you'll never see on any of our ads, Facebook or Instagram, because they will not let us put it on there. Interesting. Yeah, we have been. been, Listen, I got our Google ads torn down because we had the word extension in them because it was an auger extension. Oh my goodness! I'm still fighting with them about it because they're like, "No, you you can't put it." They thought it was a gun part. I'm like, what? Who is who in San Francisco is doing this? I think it just gets flagged with like AI. It is, yeah. But then you your next level is to then complain to a human who has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, Uh, an ice auger extension. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. So, you know, there's a lot of that. How big is the magazine? Yeah, just how many how many bullets can this hold? <laughs> None. But we do. We've got a, a good selection of shotgun ammo in right now and uh, lots of shells. And Adam's always bringing in more ammunition. And the firearms that he's got right now are incredible. Like, yeah. man, it's it's we specialize in, like, used collectibles. That's Adam's specialty, the Herman's firearm side of the business is... And like we, you will not find many new unfired guns in our rack, but they're all good ones. The uh, the ammunition's a special thing because mm-hmm. it it's been honestly just hard to get any. And, and absolutely, Adam's got reloading components in there too. Which yeah, whenever we can get them, yeah, yeah, it's been difficult to even get your hands on a lot of the mm-hmm. reloading co- components as of late. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, you're you're spot on with the analysis on the the firearms there. Yeah. It's it's almost like it, it's a different experience than going into like a, a new gun store and and looking at all. Uh, yep. Like each gun in that rack has like a bit of character to Absolutely. it. Absolutely, history, character, and one of the things that um, and I'll keep tooting his horn all all day long because he's a great dude and he's really good at his business. But Adams, uh, Adam Herman, that's the guy's Herman Firearms. Um, he, uh, you can walk in and if he doesn't have it. And you like, okay, this is kind of what I'm looking for. He's got a mile-long list of people, and he's like, oh, he sees it, brings it in, makes a trade, whatever he's got to do. He'll give you a call. It might be six months later, but he'll find that gun. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Like, yeah. And that's that's a special service for some people because we've got guys, especially uh, we've got some guys that are, like, collecting one of every type, you know, gauge of shotgun in this one run. And, you know, they've got two left, and they come in and they're like, Adam and he'll find them for him. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big draw. Um, obviously, in hunting season, it's a big deal. We're going to be carrying more hunting, I don't know, what do you want to say, like tree stands, blinds, that kind of stuff as we build. That's a line we have to build as we kind of, sh- not shrink, but slow down our angling lines because mm-hmm. um, there really isn't a lot of service in the area for hunting. You know, I, I mean, I know um, Canadian Tires there and, and Walmart, but 
to what degree, like, I mean, there really isn't much going on. We also still don't really want to start stepping into the Amazon territory because now they carry everything too. So yeah. you got to watch with that stuff. Um, uh, so a little bit of that, and, and we're starting to have talks with some trapping suppliers because a lot of our commercial clients trap, mm-hmm. a lot of our hunter clients trap. Uh, and I mean, I think, I mean, there's a great industry for trapping left in this province and we need to embrace it. So I found to like, it, it, I'll be honest, it took me a while to figure this out, but like mm-hmm. when you're going into one of the, the local shops or you got a 90% chance of running into the owner when you're there, yeah. um, it might be 75% of my shop. Yeah. I like to hunt and fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True, true. But, you know, you're going to get someone that actually knows each one of those products on the shelf and probably has at least some level of experience with those products. So, yeah. like, I'll, I'll admit, like, a, some of the larger box stores have some really dedicated individuals that, that work those shops. Yeah, for but, sure. But there's also the chance that you get Buddy that's never even... Um, yeah, he uh, just got thrown in the department that day for sure, and that that does happen in the big places just because the square footage and staff required. Totally, they. I I, I started. I worked at Cabela's when I was well when Angie and I were first together. We were living in the bachelor apartment. I worked at the head office. It's a giant, really well run machine, um, and it just serves a different purpose. Yeah, you know, I I shop there too. I can't help myself. They got some wicked stuff in there for great prices. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Everybody has their place, and every, every I think every business has a, a place too. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of readjusting where ours is going to be in the industry. So totally, I think I think what I'm saying too is just that it's it's to me it's gotten to the point where if I know someone like locally or one of those smaller shops is carrying an item, you know, I'd rather spend my time there, spend my money there, just because I know. A, if there's an issue with that product, like there's, there's a, you know, that we have a relationship and mm-hmm. like, and like, that's important to, like, yeah, it, I've, I've tried to do returns at yeah. some of the other ones and it's like, it's it, a different ball game. Yeah. And I, I will say like a lot of the major manufacturers have gone to like a deal with us and by us, I mean the manufacturer. Yeah. If you got a problem with our whatever deal with, you call their 1-800 number and talk to someone, I don't know where, but it ain't wherever it's made. And they'll deal with you and they'll, whatever happens, happens. It is what it is. But it really bothers me when something goes wrong with equipment that people buy from us. Mm -hmm. So we do tend to always have like a skid of, if there's problems, there's like a skid of it laying around and I just send it back to the manufacturers at the end of the season and go, here, deal with it. Send me a receipt because I obviously gave them a replacement, you know. Um, Especially when it's with the outdoors because you can't just, like if, if you're an avid, let's say, ice fisher, and some piece of equipment that's very important to you for that day, whether it's an auger or a tenth or whatever, falls apart on you. We've had our auger blow up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was trying not to get into it, but like, but like, you know, it happens. Yeah. But like, you're done until you get another one. Yeah. You can't wait around. Not everybody. Look, a lot of us are a little sick in the head and we've got multiple augers. Yeah. I know I keep my old gas one in the rafters in my garage in case because it's bomb proof. And it, it's good for backcountry. It's we talk, you great for backcountry. Yeah, great because then you don't have to worry about batteries and stuff. But like if if you've got a weekend fishing planned with the family and you can't get through the ice, what are you going to do? It's over. Yeah, yeah. So if you come, you know, you buy your auger or whatever at Harvester and it blows up on you, you can probably borrow mine. Yeah. 
until we deal with it or whatever, right? Until we figure it out, right? We just, I just, you have to do that stuff when you're a small business. Yeah. You have to care about your customers. That's, that's the difference. Yeah. That's why people still shop with us. Otherwise, everyone would shop on Amazon. (laughs) Well, exactly. And the other fun thing I had too was like, uh, Carly here was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, uh, I think I want a fishing reel. Um, I want a big caster though. Like, uh, just go talk to Sean. Sean will figure it out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she did. Yeah. She came in with the kids and I was like, Hey, she's like, yeah, uh, apparently I need to buy a bait caster from you. I'm like, Oh yeah. I hope you know what handy is. <laughs> yeah. just, you know what? And that was a good call because I'm, I'm left. I real left-handed. And yeah. She's uh, like, I'm sure it's left. I'm like, Oh, I hope it is. Cause yeah. that's all I have. Harvester might have the, I don't want to say the best, but if it was by per capita, we probably have the most left-handed bait casters in stock of anybody <laughs> because that's how I fish. That's so good. To, <laughs> you know, this might not be much of a debate, but I just don't understand the, cause I'm, I'm right-handed by nature yeah. and I, I like to put all my power and stuff into the rod. So Dude, I don't know if I'm missing something on the. No, you're preaching the choir here. Yeah. I think they're all nuts and I know they're all going to be <laughs> mad at me. I don't read comments, so don't bother. <laughs> um, I, I know, I just, I've always fished with my rod in my right hand for setting hooks and casting. So I just learned to reel with my left because then I don't have to switch. I've watched guys switch hands to set hooks. Yeah. And reel and lose a fish. Yeah. I've seen it happen. And I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> and then they yell at me because they've got to switch my reel over when they're borrowing it. I'm like, you're the moron who just lost the 30. This isn't my problem. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I, every time I bump into another lefty, as I call us, yeah. um, it's always the same argument. Like, why would you switch hands? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. And to me, the reeling is the, like, that's the simple motion. It's the it? automatic motion. Yeah. You just keep going. Yeah. I mean, obviously not all the time. But, like, yeah, I always want the power hand here and you know this just is what it is i don't get it yeah and like the, the cast and the flick and like uh, the jig all this yep. happens with the right well and it makes so much more sense especially like catfishing which i love catfishing yeah i couldn't imagine i mean i, I just wouldn't want to fight a catfish with my left hand it's so much weaker for me like <laughs> just i'm so like other than the guitar there's not much this left hand does at all because yeah. <laughs> like, they, they only make those rods like six feet long too so you yeah get, well uh, we got a couple nine footers okay, yeah. <laughs> there's a couple nine footers yeah. in stock that are ridiculous yeah. put them in a boat and they're pretty useless you just end up hacking each other to bits with them so yeah <laughs> I want to ask you about the commercial side though yeah, too, because sure. there's there's a lot there too, and I, it doesn't always get talked about. For so, sure. um, first of all, like obviously the commercial side was kind of like the beginnings for Harvester, but like yeah. what what does a commercial fishery mean to Harvester Outdoors? Well, I mean, it's the backbone of the business. There's no question about it. I mean, if you look at it, uh, just on a sales, it's probably like 90% of the business. Um, there's a giant commercial fishery in Western Canada that most people don't know. Everybody thinks it's like, oh, yeah, well, I see the boats in Gimli or Hecla if you're fishing Hecla or whatever. Yeah. They don't realize that, like, all around Lake Winnipeg, Lake Manitoba, Lake Winnipegosis, and further, Waterhen, all these places, um, there are communities that, only exist because there's commercial fishing left in them. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about a lot of um, remote communities, a lot of reserves. Um, it's like the the main business in town for a lot of them. So we service, there's us and one other company in Western Canada that services the, the local prairies, as I call it, fishery. But we service everywhere from Thunder Bay to Hay River. 
oh, wow. those territories. And we sell most of the nets for all that area. So it's a lot of work for a small staff. Um, and we struggle with it too, especially with like importing and freight and everything. But it's it's the backbone of the, the company. And man, like when we got into angling, it was a touchy thing. Everyone, no one listening to this is guessing why. It's it's a touchy situation between commercial fishers and anglers. Yeah. That's obviously a lot of contention, and you can understand why, because both are utilizing a resource. And it's funny, I mean, a lot of commercial fishermen angle too. Mm-hmm. They just don't like being told what to do with their livelihood. And I've always just said on both sides of it, because I'm always in the middle of it all the time. Like, <laughs> I can imagine. Always, always in the middle. <laughs> and I always tell everybody the same thing. The only thing that should matter to any of us is the health of the resource. That should be the only discussion. The problem we have, in my personal opinion, in our province, isn't overfishing or over tournaments or over angling or whatever. It's that we don't, we have a provincial government, whoever's in power, it doesn't seem to matter if you look historically, that doesn't invest in our natural resources other than to harvest them for themselves, whether it's big mining or whatever, which is fine. You got to make money. People need jobs. But when we talk about fisheries, deer populations, wildlife, moose, all these things, they're spending a drop in the bucket of what's required to actually do the job. Mm -hmm. The truth is we don't, I don't think we really know what's in these lakes. We don't know whether they're healthy or not. On both sides, we would argue they probably are healthy because we've seen record numbers of fish and great size and blah, blah, blah. But then you talk to the older guys, they're like, I don't know, nobody was out on Lake Winnipeg ice fishing in the 90s, so how the heck do you know? Maybe they've been here all along. That's a really good point. There was like 12 people out here, and all my uncles like, no one was out here, blah, 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 until you guys got here. And, you know, it was the 2000s, all hell broke loose. I was fishing with the two-by-four. Yeah, do you have any idea how far I had to walk to get out here? (laughs) You know, Um, so I don't know. Like, I'm sure there were fish out there, but it wasn't getting pressured like it does now. And I wouldn't say pressure. It's just that there's so many rods and lines in the water that we get a really good sample of how big the fish are and how many fish are kicking around. Mm. Um, Arguably, there's a lot less nets in the water than there ever has been, ever. The effort, so they call it an effort study, is like how hard was it for you to harvest your quota? How many nets did you set? How hard was it to fill X amount of tubs of fish? The effort required these days to catch a limit of fish is significantly less from a net to fish ratio. Huh. We haven't changed nets much. I mean, we have. They're they're basically a commercial gill net is made basically out of fishing line, just big fishing line. Like, I don't know how to describe it in fishing terms. We don't do pound test. But um, if you actually look at our physical gill nets, they look like they're made out of a fishing line. Um, and that's for visibility and all that. And like, yeah, in the 60s, they were making like cotton nets and nylon nets and hand stitching them. So no, they wouldn't have caught as well. So you needed a significantly, like you need like 50 nets to do the job of maybe five now. But even from the 90s to now, where our gill nets changed into plastics like we have now, um, it's, and we see it in our sales. When I, even when I started Harvester 12, 13 years ago, guys would be coming in and they'd be setting gang after gang after gang and nets, and now they don't need to because their nets are full and they're out. Most of the commercial fishermen this winter closed their quota for the winter in January. Oh, wow. Yeah. They can fish all the way to March, and they were done. Half the guys were like, oh, we're done. 
Quotas closed because when the quota's up, that's it. It's over. You finish your quota, you're done. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking specifically Winnipeg. Obviously, every lake's different. Lake Manitoba has a lake run quota, so everyone fishes the same right. ball of fish, right? Um, so that tells me it was a really great year in the fishery. Um, the province bought a bunch of licenses up and stuff and got rid of a bunch of old quota that wasn't really getting used too. So that's valuable too, I think, to the health of the province or of the fishery. But I think in the end, if we want to really just put it all to rest, which will never happen, <laughs> and I'm always the guy in the middle again, <laughs> but like what we should all have been doing for the past six years of arguing about this is pressuring our government to spend the money to do proper science on our most valuable resources, which are our natural resources. Yeah. Just period. Whether it's moose or elk or deer or, or whatever, there needs to be a significantly bigger investment in science. Yeah. I'm not in the back rooms for those discussions, but mm -hmm. like a lot of folks that we've talked about or talked to you about the resources in this province, unfortunately have echoed like a lot. Like our, what, I would guess. One of our earlier podcasts there, Vince Crichton was like, yeah the guy who spent his life studying moose across Canada essentially mm -hmm. was like, we have no clue what's going on with the moose in Manitoba. Right. Yeah. Cause there's no data. There's no, there's no interest almost from our, from our provincial government. And like other provinces seem to have their act together. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I don't mean act, but I, you know, I just, how can you possibly tell us the fishery is incredible or it's terrible on one set of, test nets a year yeah there's, there's or or worse bad. look at the catch ratios from the commercial fishery which is a skewed number because it's targeted fish yeah yeah like a gill net i mean a lot of people know how they work but a gill net is based on a size ratio right so we have these diamonds of net and that is the size that goes around the fish's gills that's how they get caught so those sizes are pretty darn accurate to the size of fish we're talking about so if the for the longest time it was Freshwater Fish Marketing Corporation, if they put a bonus on medium fish because that's what the restaurants in the States wanted, everybody in the market was putting three and a half, three and three quarter, four inch nets out because that's what they wanted to catch because it was worth more money per pound. Hmm. So that skews that data. Yeah, yeah. Um, if whitefish suddenly became the most expensive fish out of Gimli Harbor, everyone would be setting five inch nets because then they go catch all the whitefish that they wanted to fill their quota. Because whitefish and pickerel have quota systems. You have, say you have 8,000 pounds of quota, you can either fill it full of $3 fish per pound or $10 fish per pound. I'm just throwing random numbers out, but that's how it works logically. So the market skews the catch. So right, you right. can't use those numbers yeah. as data. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, it's, it's not scientific. It's not a scientific study, right? Yeah. So if you're going to do it right, you need to arm a bunch of scientists with the right equipment to go out there and test the lake and get a real biomass, not a random sampling. Like, a, I mean, and I know they say they do it and I know I'm probably going to hear from somebody when this goes out from the province going to call me like, you know, we do this. And I'm like, whatever. I know you don't. <laughs> I know you don't because I mean, like I sell the nets. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't sell them any nets. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, uh, and then, Sean, I wanted to ask, like, you obviously deal with, like, a pretty wide commercial base. Like, 
I know I know what it's like on the recreational side, but like, what's it like uh, working with commercial fishermen, like year in and year out, things like that? Like, the, is that is the <laughs> angle a little different? Is, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I would. Uh, I often tell people the commercial fishery feels a little bit like the last Wild West we have. No the, way. Like, just the characters are wild. There's some. Ama- I mean, everybody in the commercial fishery is pretty amazing people. They're really hardworking. Like, it's a brutal gig. Whether, I mean, and there's a lot of husband and wife teams doing it, you know, um, someone's in the shed cutting fish after someone came off the lake after 10 hours of lifting nets, like, and then you got to drive the fish after they're cut into the shed. And like, it's, it's a hell of a job, crap breaking all the time, things going wrong. I mean, I I know some folks would have watched Ice Vikings and that was, that's a taste of it, but like, it's a hard way to make a buck. It is not easy. It doesn't pay well. They're all just obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. It's. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who's ever really retired from it. Yeah, I, very few people have hung it up. They always fish till they're like ninety, <laughs> <laughs> or they're involved somehow. They're in the shed when their kids are fishing or whatever, right? Like, it's a. It's and then you get these characters that are just like, like guys who come in and they need you to like walk through. You know, they they make a ton of money they run a big company but they need you to help them fill out a form because they they barely got through grade five or six some of them right you know and they're amazing people and they run a great business but maybe they don't have the traditional upbringing or schooling that some people would have right like or they come from a very remote community and like their trip to harvester and selkirk and then the walmart and then they pack it i mean you try to wedge nets around their groceries for the next four four months and they're gone again (laughs) like it's it's an incredible business to work in the people are amazing you get to see some places that are wild i wish more people in the province went north of hecla yeah on on the into the big big lake yeah and not even just the lake just travel north drive to thompson oh yeah i see stop in grand rapids you know, see where the tree line starts shrinking, not, not over, but shrinking, you know, mm-hmm. the bush changes up there. It gets interesting. Um, we have a beautiful province. Thompson's gorgeous paint, like all these places, Norway house. I've been everywhere now. Yeah. I don't, the only place I have yet to go in this province is Churchill. Oh yeah. I just, they don't do a lot of commercial fishing or something. I don't know. I've never gotten there, <laughs> but, but I've been lucky enough to pretty much go everywhere else in all these small communities and man, they're amazing places. Yeah. So you've sampled the fried chicken up Highway 6 then? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Pretty much everywhere, yeah. (laughs) I don't like dissing small businesses, but there's some sketchy fried chicken places. Okay. I will tell you once I was, it's a funny story, we were in, uh, actually we weren't, I got sent up to a fish meeting in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Yeah, which was, I mean, lovely. Fish meetings are a great time. You go, they they discuss how their co-ops are going to run for the year because most of the fishery is run by co-ops small co-ops. So the other meeting, I went up and presented our new products, talked to the guys, talked to everybody, had a little, you get a little supper or lunch. And then it's like, well, I'm going to go keep going up to Norway House the next day, so I'm going to stay overnight. Hit up Grand Rapids Motel there, got some Chinese food, it was pretty good, as good as it can be for just random Chinese food in the middle of nowhere. And they said, uh, the motel's full. Well, I have a booked room. Now we have to put you at the other motel. What other motel? This is Grand Rapids. <laughs> no, no, we bought the building across the street. It's part of the motel now. Oh, cool. Because there used to be another motel across the street, I guess on the north side of the highway or something. It's been a while. But uh, so I'm like, okay, cool. Well, that's no problem. You know, they give me my key and they're like, okay, well, the lights are just in the door when you walk in. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, no one's over there. 
okay. <laughs> so they give me the key. I drive over to what is a like a two, I think it's two stories. I could be wrong. Motel. That looks like it's been abandoned for years. No. Yeah. The lights are out and it's 930 at night. And I have the key to the building and the key to my room. <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> it was wild. So get into my room, close the door, l- lock it, text my wife. It was nice knowing you. Mm-hmm. Put on the TV, try to fall asleep. No word of a lie. Midnight. The lock in my door opened. No. And two guys that were angling out there came walking in my room while I was in bed. <laughs> I would have. Died. I I almost I almost died, and they they almost died because they didn't know I was in there. <laughs> they would have seen my truck outside, but they yeah. didn't know I was in. What the, what the you know? So everyone swear lights are on, yelling. I'm like, what are you guys? Like they gave us the same room. No <laughs> There's way. like there has to be at least at least a dozen rooms in this building. They gave them the exact same room as me. We're the only two people in the place. Oh, that's funny. Oh, it scared the hell out of me. But those are the kind of that's what life on the road is as a traveling salesman anyways i'm sure there's many industries that have problems but yeah i was gonna ask too like obviously being like alongside the commercial crew that that much um those folks spend so much time on the lake Mm -hmm. and and probably have such an intimate knowledge of of that kind of lifestyle like have you learned something from from the folks since you've been working at harvester yeah i mean for sure. There's probably a couple stages to that, and I haven't learned enough, I'll tell you that. I've learned one thing. If you don't respect Lake Winnipeg, it will kill you. That's for damn sure. Because, like, every year, maybe not Lake Winnipeg all the time, but every year I lose customers somewhere. That's a very tangible kind of experience, eh? Like yeah. It's not- Last year I sold him five, you know, five nets or whatever, and now he's gone because something happened whether his boat broke down or his bombardier broke or his snowmobile went through the ice because he went out too early. Because, like, the ice fishing season isn't stagnant. As soon as there's ice, you can go. So some guys, if they're hard up for cash, they got to try and get a net out and they go too early and maybe there's four inches of ice where they are and then there's no inches of ice where they end up and someone has to go find them later, right? Like, it's that happens every year. Whether it's Hay River, I know we lost a really good friend of mine, Stacy Linnington, a few years back, who's a really good customer. He was running a whitefish boat, a big whitefish boat up in Hay River and never came back. Like, it, it happens. Um, I mean, I know it, 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 ice fishing, angling especially, but angling is, is dangerous practice too. It can be, mm-hmm. especially on a lake like Lake Winnipeg. We're lucky we haven't had more problems. Mm-hmm. We've had a booming angling industry, which is awesome. And there's a lot of great equipment and great boats out there and all that stuff. But it's, uh, I'm always a little nerve wracked sometimes when I see guys pull in the lot and buy bait and they're heading to Hecla on a day when the wind's 20K. And I look at their boat and I go, I don't know, man, you better not leave that harbor. Yeah. You know, like Lake Winnipeg's unforgiving. Yeah. We spent a, a summer seasonally up in Hecla and mm-hmm. like some of the winds, you could have like that 30, 40, 50 even K win. Yeah. If it's coming from the east there, you're fine. Yeah. But you get like a northwest wind coming out of Hecla and it's, it's terrifying. It's coming right down the channel. Yeah. And you're contending, the current will shift on you and all these. You got a sandbar that you got to watch out for, things like this, yeah. like that you, 
unless you know the area. Yeah, you have to have enough motor, enough boat. Yeah. A deep enough V, like, and I mean. Well, and you have to know how to cut a wave and like, I mean. And ride them, right? Like. I think one of the scariest things I've done in the boat, and I had my, I was stupid. I had my family in the boat at the time. Mm -hmm. Is I had to, I had to turn. I was breaking waves heading north out of Hecla here down the channel. Yeah. And the the wind was coming from that northwest direction, so like you're you're okay when you're cutting the wave, but now you got to turn almost ninety degrees back to the harbor, mm-hmm. and that is a that is a terrifying kind yeah. of like yeah now you're really hooped like what do yeah. you do and it's gonna come sideways and you got to hope you can stay between the waves and both sides a factor out there I know one of the the one of the guys who was actually running Harvester when I first started there his name was Willie Monkman he'd been a commercial fisherman his whole life. Um, and he's a really knowledgeable older fella. Um, and he taught me a lot about the fishery, but he always, he always said, uh, you should, the guys would be talking about buying, I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't remember the numbers. It was like 25 foot y'all or whatever. And he would say, uh, no, don't get that one. Get the 22 or whatever. Well, why would you go smaller? He's like, well, and his, this was a theory of his. Okay. So I will take it with a grain of salt. But, and he would say, you know, the, the lake's so shallow that the waves come at weird times. There's a weird gapping between them and a certain size boat, if it's too long, can catch a weird. You won't be ready for the next one or whatever right. was kind of his yeah, explanation. Yeah. But it was that kind of thought process that comes from a guy who is probably in his 70s and had been on the lake since he was eight. He was from Loon Straits originally. Yeah. And like him and all of his brothers were fishermen. His dad was a fisherman. Like they'd done it the hard way forever and none of them died doing it. So they knew something. Yeah. You know, and... Even the most experienced commercial fishermen will run into trouble out there. Boats get caught in nets. Boat gets caught in rope. Get sidewashed. Things happen. You don't know. You yeah. know. And it, it, mostly we lose mo- someone every winter usually because they go through the ice or freeze or breakdowns. Um, but it happens in open water too. And and like Lake Winnipeg, I treat with a lot of respect. All water I do, but like I mean, we got a place on Lac the Bonnie and stuff, and that's a big body of water. When you're crossing it, hammering across, it can be pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, but that Lake Winnipeg's a beast, man. She doesn't take prisoners out there. There's something unique about just like it's it's large. I'm I'm sure the Great Lakes are. Mm-hmm. are I'm sure it's are wild, wild too. <laughs> yeah, but they're deeper too. They're deeper, um, which probably comes with their own complications too, yeah. right? Um, yeah, you for probably sure. get some swells that you might not. Oh. You might not get in Lake Winnipeg, but the the shallow factor is a as a thing because you get those cresting. Yeah, and we have prairie winds, and so it whips it up like crazy because it's not that deep and it it's not moving all that overturn. Yeah, it it it's it's pretty wild out there. I mean, which is cool. I mean, it it makes it kind of romantic, right? That lake has its own thing, but you do have to be careful out there. The other thing I would say that I learned from them, other than just generally, don't be stupid and go on the lake when you shouldn't be is uh, I think because they work so hard and it's a dangerous job, they seem to find joy in everything. Like in general, most of the fish meetings I've gone to, there can be some like moments of tension and stuff between executives or whatever. There's discussion between, you know, the membership and the executive of the co-op or whatever. But in the end, they always end with a, a supper or a lunch together. Everybody's laughing and joking and talking about the season coming or what's going on. Everybody knows small towns, obviously small communities, but like there's a lot of joy in those places too. Um, and like one of my favorite places on earth is Madison Island. Oh, Manitoba. Cool. Cool, it's, yeah. it's one of the most beautiful places. Take the ferry over. Take the ferry over. Um, go, go stay with Smitty and Connie. 
Um, they've got a really cool little kind of side business of like um, rooms for rent and tours and stuff. And I think it's called, was it called Wavy Lake? I can't remember. Um, but wonderful, wonderful people on that island. And when you get across there, all of a sudden you kind of feel a little bit like you're on the East Coast. No way. Yeah, it's kind of weird because they all have these little home wharfs that they've built oh, cool. over the years, like generations. Um, and it's a pretty little place with amazing people. You go, do yourselves a favor and go to the Matheson Island Ice Fishing Derby in January, I think, every year. It's awesome. Yeah. Great people, great time, great running. Not the best fishing, but who cares? Whatever. We've spent yeah. way more money fishing yeah. in tournaments with no fish. We've done dumber things, too. Yeah. And, like, again, you're going to get a great experience to meet some amazing people. You know there's an accent up there, eh? I'll have to go check it out. Dude, you have to. And I've always, I mean, there's my mom back in like the 70s or something worked for, I don't know, Sears or Eden's or something and part of the province. And they worked with some people in Madison Island. She said, man, they, they, they sound like they're almost from the East Coast or almost Ireland. I don't know. Yeah, there's yeah, something yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. And it's just that one cluster of Manitoba. It's wild. It makes sense. Like, Not everybody, because there's some you know people that moved there from Selkirk or whatever, right? But like, there is with the older folk there that they have this great way of talking that I just could listen to for hours. There's definitely regional dialects in in Manitoba. Yeah, again, if you if you leave Winnipeg, you will find these things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the last question I want to ask you, kind of about the yeah. shop before we stop mm -hmm. talking about fishing, unfortunately, yeah, is uh. Just, I I wanted to get your thoughts on the shop vibe, and this this might be a good reflection of that last comment you made, just about the commercial guys mm -hmm. being kind of just a grounding themselves in in uh, appreciation for life. But like the the vibe, I love the vibe in the shop when I walk in. Like it's just chill. Normally, you got the hound there, just kind of mm -hmm. relaxing and things like that. And there's there's a good like story going around the table or something like that usually yeah 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 we've got a lot of characters that hang around <laughs> yeah sometimes they buy stuff sometimes they don't i don't care is They're it fun. a coffee shop or like what's the <sighs> yeah yeah <laughs> let's be fair you know what's funny i bought coffee makers and we never use them everybody just you get a text randomly three times a day hey you want something from tim's oh yeah yeah so i, I there was a point where i was drinking three or four cups of coffee every day just with people picking it up which is awesome but at the same time i needed to knock that off yeah, yeah, so, yeah. it gets a little taxing, it gets yeah. like whoa i'm a little fried yeah. you know um i love uh i love camaraderie and hanging out and having a good hang that is whether it's hunting trips or fishing trips or whatever. And if I can create that in my day-to-day -day business life, why wouldn't I? Now, it does make it a little bit difficult to get work done. <laughs> so I do get flack from a lot of people sometimes for not being in the shop when they come in all the time. Oh, yeah. But to be honest with you, I do all the bookkeeping, all the accounting, all yeah. the purchasing and all the buying and all, most of the sales and all the invoicing and all that stuff. My wife and I do all that ourselves. So I work from home a lot because I can't get anything done at the shop, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is my favorite thing to do is be at the shop and just hang, yeah. chat with the guys. Folks will come in and, oh, I got a new snowmobile. You want to see it? Okay, well, it's on the trailer. Come on out. And we're all just hanging out, having a coffee, talking about the new sled, you know? Um, no, I hope no one ever comes in feeling like they have to buy something because they came through the door. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just love when people come to visit, share stories, um, talk about fishing and hunting or talk about what's going on with their day. It doesn't matter. Come see the dog. People come literally just to visit Jesse. 
<laughs> yeah, that's I, fine I with me see, too. I can see that. Yeah, and listen, she needs to exercise more because there's at least 12 guys in Selkirk that bring treats for her every week, <laughs> and she's getting a little spoiled, but which is cool too. I mean, I that's why she's there. She she comes with me because she's like, she's an emotional support dog. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like yeah. she keeps me calm all the time, and she's a break for me because mm-hmm. it's easy when you're dealing with like because I mean. Obviously, with someone buying pickle rigs or whatever, they, they're purchasing right there. But, like, there's moments where I have to call accounts receivable customers and be like, hey, you know, big fishery customers or whatever, big commercial fishing companies, and be like, hey, you owe us money and stuff. Like, that gets stressful, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, um, And it's nice, or things don't go wrong, it's nice to have that dog there because she calms me down, and no I just, way. ugh, it's nice to relax, you know? Yeah. And that's her demeanor. Um, somewhere in her bloodline, there's, like, service dogs that do that. Uh, and I'm very lucky to have her cause she just mm. does that naturally. She can tell when you're out of sorts yeah. and she does it for random people all the time. Mm-hmm. There's only like two or three guys she doesn't like, <laughs> but they're making friends with her as they, okay. they try every day. <laughs> I was worried it was me for a second, but then I was like, no, she's been good yeah. every time I've come in the shop. Yeah. So no, it's just like every once in a while, someone will spook her out of a nap or whatever. And she's like, ah. yeah. um, or one of, one of my good friends from Gimli, Warren Hill, Came in one day after trapping coyotes, and man, she wouldn't go near him for months. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. I, the, th- the only thing I could think of, because yeah. she had a hate on for him for months. Now they're best friends. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. But man, she hated him for a while. <laughs> it was weird. But yeah, that vibe is really important to me. Yeah. Because I just, work's hard enough. Yeah. You shouldn't have to hate going. Yeah. You know. I was shocked. I don't want to say shocked, but mm-hmm. I was surprised when, like, I I knew you through the store first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but to hear that you not only had a band, but like toured, like kind of <laughs> like on top of it, like that. Well, like we we play around. I would say Western Canada is kind of our reach. It's been a while since we've been really out west, especially with COVID and stuff. And this band is, I don't want to say infancy because we've been together a long time. But like I've been, I've been doing this since I was seventeen. Yeah, I've been playing guitar a long time and singing and all that. But like I really dug into fronting bands and stuff when I was about seventeen. I kind of I got like my band teacher Jeff Kula. I talked about him earlier when I was at River East. Incredible music teacher, just like won a Juno for music teaching music. Like he's he's incredible, well regarded around the world. Um, and he introduced me to a lot of really cool gigs and stuff and. I think somewhere around, I want to say, well, I must have been 18 because it was like the Palomino Club or whatever, but he was in a band called Thirsty Cactus, which is a great band name, by the way. (laughs) It's like easily the best country band name I've heard. Is that still taken or is that? Oh, yeah. And I would never do that. Like uh, (laughs) Connie, uh, oh man, I I always forget her last name. I feel like an idiot, but she's actually like local kind of Lockport Selkirk girl. Okay. And she was like the front, she was the face of that band. That was her baby. Uh, her and Perry David, also from Selkirk, yeah. um, and Perry David's from Hearts of Fire and stuff, they were the kind of the lead singers of the band. And um, Perry's a commercial fisherman. Weird. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I just got offered a gig. I didn't know why. <laughs> um, but when he would be commercial fishing hard in like spring or whenever it was, he couldn't do some of the gigs. So like a Tuesday night, country night at the Palomino Club, as it used to be, in like 2004, I'd get called. Well, you want to come down and sing? Well, okay, sure. You know, pop in. And next thing I know, we built a couple of the guys from that band and me. We started a band called Pop the Trunk, which played all the bars. Just a bar band, you know, top 40, whatever. 
super fun. But I've been a country fan forever. Like I was raised on that. George Strait, Dan Seals, to be fair. Um, uh, Ian Tyson, John Denver, all these things. And, and in probably, I don't know, nine years old, I really should go back and find out what concert it was. But I was at the Garth Brooks concert in Winnipeg. And it blew my little mind. It blew my little mind. They shot him out of a piano. I still remember it to this day. And it was like, from that point on, I was like, I don't know how. Yeah. But that's what I want to do. And I've still never been Garth Brooks. But like, oh, I've had some nights where you have like a thousand people just doing whatever you want. And it feels amazing. And like, I, that's a drug I'll never get over. Oh, man. We were talking to Quinn Blair there too. Mm-hmm. And I could not. It's. It's incredible to think about the impact that Garth Brooks has had on on musicians of, yeah. of our generation in some ways. <laughs> I always tell, I always, I always joke about it with frontmen because you can tell by the way we move our cowboy hats if we're the Garth Brooks era. Because <laughs> we all do this like you can't see me obviously we're on yeah. audio, but like we do this like kind of like mm-hmm. gur face and then start shaking our hat up and down with the beat and it's like it's it's a garth brooks thing that we all do involuntarily quinn does it all the time yeah I, and i've seen it i'm like oh man i know that look yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, he's got that vibe when he hits stage like q is is phenomenal live yeah he's an amazing dude too and a great songwriter and funny enough we didn't know this because we're two years he's two years older than me um but we went to high school together in River Boy. East in Boy. Winnipeg. That's, we're both Winnipeg that boys that went to high school together. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, we were in River East. I was in grade 10. He was in grade 12. Or maybe he graduated the year before I got to grade 10. I can't remember. But anyways, we're both River East Kodiaks. And like Quinn's a full-blown country cowboy, horses, and all that jazz. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't go that range. I'm too busy hunting and fishing. But like he's the real deal. He's legit as it comes. That's, that's her livelihood in a lot of ways. I yeah, think. in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, I know he's, he's got some other things on the go, and obviously his band's incredibly busy. Yeah. But, uh, but like, they've started this, like, um, guided service where you go on horse rides and cabins and stuff. What, what a pleasure, like, to be able to do that. It's amazing. What a, what a gig. And uh, him and Vanessa are just incredible people. Mm-hmm. And Vanessa Taylor... Um, uh, his partner in crime is the daughter of my guitar player, Sean Borton. Oh, no way. Yeah. So that's how we all kind of know each other. That it's just by fluke. Winnipeg music scene. Yeah, man. And like, it's it's a small world always. Like, it yeah. never ends, right? But yeah, Q's a good dude. And yeah, I think we were all kind of somewhat influenced by that kind of, the class of 89, as it's called. The country music yeah, class yeah, of 89. Yeah. Like, how could yeah. you not be? Yeah. Garth was like larger than life. And, and yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, granted, he's probably a little nuts, but you know, <laughs> I don't think anybody could be that famous without being nuts. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's to be At fair. That level. But I've always admired, he does a lot of, he did a lot of his own songwriting. He had a hand in a lot of those hits that we all know. Yeah. You know, not all of them, but a lot of them. I mean, he's the master of his own destiny. He directs his own ship. He's, he's a, not the worst role model to look up to as far as being a country singer goes. No, totally. And then, Coming back to your experience here, mm-hmm. like the you eventually step into the lead role of like or your own band here, like yeah. So I mean, kind of funny enough, like I'd been gigging for years. Um, Pop the trunk. I don't want to say devolved, but we used to be like a five piece with a female singer and myself fronting it. Yeah, you yeah. got to do that into the mic. How well, do you not that, do that, that straight? That Sheldon's into the mic? move is the dude, and Sheldon's not here today. Yeah, well. <laughs> One for Sheldon. You know what? When, when you crack one, you can put it in the mic. All right, fair enough. That feels sorry. That feels right too. We here at Panoramic Outdoors want to take a moment to introduce you to Fair Forge Works. 
Bear Forge Works is a Winnipeg-based knife company focusing on high-end blades for hunting, cooking, and all things outdoors. 100% of the work is done here in Manitoba using a unique combination of high-tech CNC equipment as well as traditional methods to create a durable tool that will last a lifetime. This spring, Bear Forge Works is launching a few new product lines, including the Barbecue line, which features five products two sizes of brisket knives, a bony knife, steak knife sets, and a cleaver. Each blade is made from either high carbon steel or high carbon stainless and features a hand-forged blade finish for a more traditional look. The high carbon steels in these blades will develop a patina with use and will uniquely reflect the cooking style of the user, as different cooking methods will create different patinas and reactions with the steel. We're also looking forward to the new tactical filleting knife making its way in this spring as well. If you want to check out Fair Forge Works, be sure to look for them on Instagram at Fair Forge Works. You can find them on Shopify as well by searching Fair Forge Works Inc. Use code Panoramic10 to get 10% off of your order. Um, yeah, we were we were this band called Pop the Trunk at, at this time. We we're playing like Whiskey Dicks at its height and all those places, right? I was like 23 years old. It was me, uh, Marty Thiessen, who's a monster bass player, Jeff Kula, who's always been the drummer for me. Uh, honestly, until recently, I have never played without Jeff, and it's hard when I don't. Um, the guys, other guys are great, but it's like, man, I'm so used to having him back there. Poor guy's been staring my ass for 20 some odd years. <laughs> um, you know, Levon always said that's the best seat in the house. Cause you could, uh, you can see the whole band. You can, and you get to, I feel like he kind of just gets to vibe back there. Yeah. Like no one's, I mean, people watch him, but no one's like dance puppet. <laughs> like it doesn't happen with a drummer, right? Like. Mm. So he, he does have a good gig. Plus, he gets to sit for 45 minutes straight or 90, you know. Drumming's not hard work. Oh, it's, I'm so glad I'm not a drummer. It's it's tough. Plus, you got to lug all that stuff around. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so was the, and, and my good buddy Joey uh, Landreth was in the band at the time, and he's a monster and now super famous. So, and Joey and I were young, and I will say we were uh darlings of the people in the bars that were interested in young men um it was it was just one of those times when you're like the right age at the right time and it was a good party scene in winnipeg we had a lot of fun but probably way too much fun you know what i mean (laughs) Um, i I don't know what you mean because i I have been on that side of the coin (laughs) well we were trouble with capital t but we had a really good time it was a really good band but uh we all kind of started settling down i met angie joey met his wife anna we like we both settled down. Joey moved on to the Bros Landreth and all that, and yeah. they got huge. Um, and uh, Marty and I and Jeff were still in the band with a couple different guitar players coming and going, all of which who are mega studs now in the industry. So it's pretty cool. Um, but I just kind of got tired, you know. And and it it was hard work and it wasn't fun at the time. And uh, Angie and I were trying to have our son Joey, um, and it was. Uh, it wasn't going well, and it was very much my fault because I was just I was not sleeping. I was working. I was drinking. I was having too much fun, but not fun. You know what I mean? And uh, and so I we said, so, well, this is a priority for us. And I said to the guys, look, I'm just going to stop gigging. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of singing Jesse's Girl, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I still do, but that's <laughs> beside the point. But I just got tired of it, right? So I I I stepped away from the band, and um, almost like right after that we had Joey because I settled down you know and that was amazing and I'm so glad 
that happen because being a, a father is a miracle. Um, and so our f- little family was going great and I was having a good time. And um, a young guy named David James, who's now an, a big recording artist and stuff, stepped into my role at Pop the Trunk. So he took over for me and then he started putting out singles and albums, and whatever. And I don't know what he did, but you know, he, I guess he stepped away from the band. And so Jeff asked me to fill in for him on a gig. And I went back and I think it was the Oak or something. I went and played a gig with the band. And like, I came home that night and Angie said like, you really missed that, didn't you? <laughs> like, yeah, I really did. And then a couple of weeks later, Jeff called me. He's like, yeah, David says he's out. Do you want to come back and front the band? I said, sure, but I want to make some changes. He's like, okay, well, what do you think? I'm like, I don't care how much money we make. I want a big band. He's like, well, how big? I'm like, five, six pieces. I want to hire a fiddle player. It's going to be hard, but we got to find one. I want to hire some young fiddle player somewhere. I said, I want a fiddle. I want piano, like keys. I want a six-piece country band, country band. I don't care what we do with it. And the decision was made to call it the Sean Taylor Band because we couldn't call it, like, we had popped the trunk. We had to have a country band name, too. We decided to go with my name, I guess, because, I mean, country names are hard to come up with. Like, Thirsty Cactus was already taken. I don't know what comes after <laughs> that. So, um. And we just kind of started out that way. And at first, like a lot of bars wouldn't hire us because they were so used to that like 2000s, 90s, like bar top 40 band thing. Yeah. And like, you guys are a country band. That guy's wearing a cowboy hat. This You can't play here. Can't play the Spike. Yeah. The Silver Spike Saloon, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I will give them credit. They gave us a really early shot. Um, you can't play the Pal. You know, you can't, you can't play these places. Um, a lot of bars named after country bars wouldn't let us play there actually now that I think of it in hindsight, (laughs) but that's beside the point. Um, but the band's so damn good that eventually they couldn't say no. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we've never missed. That's the thing I love about this band. It's so damn good. Yeah. I've never, there might be nights where I don't feel good about my performance or I'm a little down on the crowd because the crowd's my job. Mm -hmm. The band plays. My job is to get the crowd involved. And if it's not happening, it's my fault. Because the crowd will give you whatever you give them. So if I'm not on the right headspace, right energy, my voice isn't up to snuff, whatever, that affects the show. But that band, Sean and Greg and James and Blaine and uh, Jeff, it took us years to kind of find all the right people. Yeah. But my God, they're good. Those boys are so good, it's scary. Chase, yeah, Chase mentioned you were playing the the Fish Futures there. Yeah. Yeah, that was a a fun one. It was weird, but it was fun. But he, he was like, "Yeah, man, they were they were fucking tight." Like, yeah, they were, it's it, they're really great musicians, man. It makes it so easy. Yeah. I always say like it's it's like riding a really experienced horse that just knows what it's doing, you know? Yeah. And it does. Like those boys, like they never miss a beat. Every there'll be little things, but like no one would ever notice live. Yeah, and I was gonna mention like you got a couple singles out, like mm-hmm. Rolling Stone and mm-hmm. someplace better yep. than here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's real traction and you guys have been just touring like crazy and we're like- playing a ton um the singles thing was weird because i just said to the guys i was like i mean we got some tunes i'm writing some tunes we've got all these great players why don't we just do something like we've kind of maxed out the whole bar band country band thing mm-hmm. there isn't a gig every we all we do is turn away gigs because we're either booked or the guys need a weekend or I need a weekend at the lake or whatever, you know, like you need to take breaks and stuff. But like we take a we could play any night we want, which is an amazing thing to have as a band. We're very lucky. Um, 
Jeff's a big piece of that because he handles most of the booking, our agents too, and Morris and stuff. They work really hard for us and they get us a lot of great gigs. But like at some point it kind of felt like, well, what do we do now? And I've always, I mean, I'm getting to that age now. I'm like 37, turning 38. I'm like, man, I don't know how much longer people are going to want to watch this old out of shape dude sing and play guitar. So I kind of wanted to create something that would either create a, a longevity for us or at least something that would stand the test of time. You know, like a record is forever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go away. Yeah. You Ian know, Tyson, right? Yeah, exactly. I saw Ian Tyson in Spruce Grove, I think when I was, I don't know, in my teens. Cause my dad actually lived out in Northwestern Alberta for years. Okay. Um, so I spent part of my time out there and part of my time here doing, so he had like horses and the whole nine yards, cattle, all that jazz out there. And then the rest of the time I was here in Winnipeg. Um, so I got to see Ian and like, he was a shadow of what we would have hoped he was at that point in his life. But that album will last forever, forever. My kids know it. They don't like it. At least I won't admit they don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it now. They will. Exactly. They will. Yeah. I'm sure the first time I heard it, I was like, this isn't Green Day. <laughs> you know, this yeah, isn't yeah. Dookie. Shut up. <laughs> but it's some, something that grows on you and lasts with you. Right. And I, I wanted something that my boys could look back and be like, dad played guitar almost every weekend. That's all I remember. But I don't remember him ever doing anything. Mm. You know, like they see me play like the outside of the gold eyes. Last summer, actually, we got to play some, like we played Morton Corn and Apple main stage um, one night. And that was a giant night for us. It was mm. a big crowd, big stage, big event. My son got to be there. You see your little boy in the front front crowd, and you're like, he's immediately a click, like, oh, this is what dad's been doing all this time. Yeah. It's hard to explain it to them, right? So um, having a record come out now, like I get a call from my sister and my little niece, Brielle, and, oh, you're on the Amazon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're on Alexa. <laughs> like, you know, stuff like that's kind of cool. Or like, or Blaine, like he's got a young daughter and, and she hears dad on the radio and stuff. Like that's, yeah. that's a big difference, you know? And, and it's a dream for, for myself. I always wanted to hear myself on the radio as I'm sure most singers like myself do. And when you hear your voice the first time randomly, not when you're planning, cause like there's planning yeah. that goes into radio where they'll be like, you want to do an interview on Seafry? Like, yeah, that'd be amazing. Thank you so much. And so, you know, it's going to come up. Like when you're standing at Harvester and you're talking to somebody about, I don't know, some fish that got away or, or how their snowmobile broke down last weekend and all of a sudden you're like, oh, 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 oh shut up, shut up, shut up. That's me. Because yeah. <laughs> we've been streaming like radio stations in southern Ontario and stuff that are playing Rolling Stone in some place. And oh, it's like so cool, man. all of a sudden you be in the middle of a conversation it'll be on and we're like, holy crap, that's actually us. Yeah. On And it, my favorite thing is AM. To hear your own voice on FM is cool. To hear your own voice voice on AM radio, <laughs> like, you're like I'm Johnny Cash. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's amazing, yeah. you know. It's got that it's twang like, to it. Yeah, it just it sounds like country music to me, yeah, which yeah. I love. Yeah. And the tunes are different. Like Rolling Stone is a song by uh, originally done by the, the band called the the uh, Proud Sons. They've renamed since, obviously. Yeah. Um, but an incredible rock band from Winnipeg. Yeah. But like great, really good rock, and friends of ours actually alan gunter and his wife janine were out at the cabin with us one summer and she was playing they were playing the record for us because i guess he they knew or actually graham crawford knows some of the guys and played with Mm -hmm. them or whatever and they played this is such a great song and i was listening to the first time i heard it i was like ah that's a country song (laughs) i know that i know that right damn now (laughs) and so blaine went to school with those guys so he reached out and said do you mind if we cut this and yeah go for it so 
no and way. so it was as soon as we heard it, it was like the harmonies and everything so we sing we got four strong singers the band was like it fits us and man it had had to be the first single someplace has this i will say it's like a wish.com version of del barber because i didn't write it no I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. no but like Dell's one of my favorite writers too. Like also Prairieography, probably my favorite record after Cowboyography. <laughs> and it's not just the name. But like Big Smoke and songs like that haunt me to this day. Like great writing, man. That I guy's a know. beast. I was I was in a conversation with Carly and I was like, I don't know how or where Dell came up with Big Smoke, but like he knocked it out of the park with that one. Yeah. yeah like there are moments when they find you. I don't know if that's one of those situations. I'd love to pick his brain about it. I've never met Del before. Yeah. But I'm a giant fan, and Big Smoke stopped me in my tracks because I've, I've, I've been there. Like, I mean, I'm from Winnipeg, so it's not the same thing. But, yeah. like, I remember my cousin, uh, Corey, we were very close, and he, he just he went to uh, Calgary when we were young to work and stuff. And, and my buddy Joey moved to Toronto, you know. Um, and it, That song resonated so quickly with me. It was amazing. And the whole album. Like everything in that album, so well put together, and all of Dell's stuff is—it's almost sickening, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've had some interesting combos with Dell too. Mm -hmm. Just like it—it's—it's it's hard, eh? Like the the musician life is yeah. not—it's unforgiving. Yeah, that's why I'm always kind of cautious when people say like, "Oh, you're doing this. You finally put an album out. You're gonna tour. Blah blah blah. What's it gonna be like when you're famous? You're still gonna work." I'm like, I'm not gonna be famous, and yeah. this is really hard. And we're playing at it. Yeah. We're proud of what we're doing. We all work real hard at it. The guys are incredible. The parts are great. And I'm really happy with the songs we picked. This yeah. is like a 10 or 11 song album coming. Yeah. This isn't over. Like the next ten, uh, the next single will be out, I'm hoping in two weeks. Yeah. I mean, well, it'll be out to radio and then it takes, there's this whole Spotify delay thing, whatever happens. But it's coming and there's more to come. And I'm really excited about some of the songs. Yeah. But it's not like we have delusions of going on tour across the the North America to arenas. Yeah. No one's expecting that. We're just making good music together and people like it. We're happy. It's yeah. kind of that ethos. Like if you, if you like it, someone else will like it. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world now where, and then this is probably indicative of a podcast too. We live in a world now where if you do something that you like, a lot of people can see it. Yeah, totally. You know, um, two things on that. Like, mm -hmm. first of all, like, I don't want to, I'm like, I never, want to denigrate any musician like mm. yourself or Dell or anything like that. Like I, what I'm more commenting on is the fact, like, I think it's probably harder now to make it as a musician, um, in the sense that like the margins just seem so much thinner unless you're that, unless you're getting 6 million streams a, a month or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? You're certainly not going to make any money off the actual record. Yeah. That's another thing. There was another kind of selling point, not that the boys needed to sell. They were in for whatever I wanted to do. They were such great dudes. But I was like, you know, if we put out a record, we'll get better gigs. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we got good gigs, but like there's more marketability to like a, a band with a, you know, with yeah. singles on the radio and Spotify plays. And well, even the streams yeah. and all that. You can, so when you market yourself, you, somebody calls up and they're like, Okay, well, here's our budget. Well, who can you offer us? Well, we can offer you this band or the Sean Taylor band who just put out a record and there's blah, blah, blah. And, oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It just, you put asses in seats and people will pay you. Totally. Um, like we're playing Dauphin this year. We've never played Dauphin before, ever. Yeah. 
and they were great to deal with. They're like, what do you want? What do you need? Let's go. And I was, cool. it was like, we, we hadn't even done anything yet. We just had Rolling <laughs> Stone out. But there are really, that's a really great festival that supports a lot of, like a lot of Manitoba artists are playing. Totally. Totally. Um, no, we're not playing the main stage, but I don't need to play the main stage. No. I'm a party guy. That's what uh, we do. We play bars. So give me that bar stage yeah. at 6 p.m. Yeah. And they were playing at 6.30 or something on Sunday at the Bell MTS, like the bar stage. Give me that stage all day. That's yeah. my, those are my people. I don't know if this happened to me like the same way that the, the big box like fishing mm-hmm. experience happened to me, but like I've been to a few large concerts and like, they're just like the 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 front section there is just like a bunch of people that paid a bunch of money to go sit in the front section and they just want to sit there and hang out and like I guess like if that's your money you're fine you can well, they want to be it. seen there yeah you can spend it however you want yeah. but like I'll be honest like the the most fun I have is that now is that like these small bars uh, like I think of times change in Winnipeg mm-hmm. I think of like uh the park like you you talk about some of the like yeah small theaters great shows yeah one of the best concerts i ever saw was the album release of the bros landreth put on oh yeah the west end cultural center and i mean i've known those guys a long time they're all amazing dudes but holy crap what a great party everyone was it was just a love fest everyone was so excited the album was great everybody heard it everyone was so excited for this show they knocked (laughs) it out of the park Everyone was freaking out. They had Daniel yeah. Champagne open for them. Like it was, it was phenomenal. And and since then, like, yeah, times changed. Man, I've watched some crazy good. That was the first time I ever saw Quentin. I'm sure was there maybe. Yeah. And then now, I mean, because we're in Transcona, we spent a tremendous amount of time at the Royal George. Okay. It's kind of walking distance. And man, I think it's seven nights a week now. There's live music on that stage. Oh no way. That's yeah, awesome. like Tuesday nights, writers' night for Manitoba Country Music Association. Huh. Yeah, uh, Wednesday's a rock jam. Gary Gatch and those guys putting on a rock jam. That's really good players, crazy good musicians on that stage, and you can just get up and sing with them and jam and like be part of it. It's amazing. Thursdays is Chandra has a great Chandra Laveau's got a really good show going on. Um, kind of rock, blues, all that kind of stuff. She, man, she could sing the phone book and I'd listen to it. It wouldn't yeah. matter. Friday, Saturday is another just kind of bar bands. And then Sunday afternoon is the country jam at the Royal George Hotel. I'll 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Meat draw. Meat draw. Oh, yeah, buddy. And I mean like old school country jam. Nice. It's like, I don't know the last time I heard a song on that stage on a Sunday that was newer than 2000. <laughs> like, yeah. It's awesome. I wanted to commend you too, because like you, you were just talking a little while back there too on, you know, if you do something you love, like it's gonna shine through in, in a lot of ways, and yeah. like that, to me when I I listen to these two latest singles, like it sounds like you guys are just having a ton of fucking fun. It's what it sounds like to be honest. Yeah, man, that's what it is because it's. It, <laughs> so I have mentors in the industry, right? As, <laughs> as we all do. And a couple of them uh, who are like amazing dudes and like storied professionals in this industry, I'm so lucky to know them, all said to me, you're putting on a record, hire a band. And I was like, why would I do that? I have a band. No, no, hire a band. Go in the studio with a band and come up with a record. Then your guys can learn the record. I was like, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I like the way my band sounds. Yeah, yeah. That's the point. I want the record to sound like the Sean Taylor band. There's a reason there aren't any instruments on the record that we've added that aren't already in the band. Yeah. Because 
it's not so much that we well we can't play it live. It's not that. It's like this is the band. I love this band. Yeah. I want it to sound like us. So the people here, it's like you hear Rolling Stone, whether it's a spike or on a random video on YouTube or whatever, you're like, Oh man, yeah, that's it. That's it. The yeah. harmonies are there, the guitars, the piano, the, or the organ, everything. Everything's in place. The fiddle, everything's done right. Um and I know those guys really thought it'd be a good idea, but their worry was that too many cooks in the kitchen could be scary. Mm. There's six of us in this band. And so arrangements, all six of us get together in my basement. We turn on the popcorn maker. We get a case of beer and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And we work on three songs together. Like I'll send a demo of like me and an acoustic on a song that I wrote. Yeah. And then the guys will be like, okay, that's the song we're working on this night. Let's get together. And we hash it out in like two or three hours. We've got three songs kind of parted out, hashed out, and then we go record them. And at first it, it seems like it's going to be a disaster when you're talking about bands and personalities and everything, that's not the case with these guys. The only two guys that ever butt heads are me and Jeff, and it's because we've been together so damn long. <laughs> really, and we don't, I wouldn't say we butt heads, we just, we might have differing opinions, we're both strongly opinionated people. The other guys are like the most supportive human beings on earth. So when you hear the record being made, you are hearing a whole bunch of fun and guys who are really passionate about the project. Mm-hmm. Like some place is not, like, I mean, anybody can look up Spotify, how many streams it's getting. It's not streaming like Rolling Stone did. It's not a giant radio hit. I mean, it's getting good radio play, but it's not a hit. Um, but my favorite part about that song is the piano solo. <laughs> so I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, the guitar playing's great on it. The fiddle playing's good on it. Like, Blaine's always bang on. Yeah. But James, young James, as we call him, Jimmy Sweet Heat, or Sweet Jimmy Heat. See me, I'm mixing up his nicknames already. Um he's the youngest out of all of us by a long shot. This band spans five five decades in age. And Jimmy's in his 20s, and he's young, and he didn't grow up on country music. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, he came through River East Collegiate Band Program just like I did. And when I wanted a piano player, Jeff's like, well, I got this kid in grade 12. He's graduating in the summer or whatever. And no way. He, he graduates, oh, well, he just had a birthday. Um, He'll be 18, and he's interested. And I'm like, okay, so... So we've kind of like Sean Borden, myself, Blaine, everyone's just, and Greg, and we just kind of like, you should listen to this record now. Listen to this record now. And Sean got him onto this George Strait kick. Man, that kid's a George Strait fan. No way. He's like encyclopedic when we're driving. Like we're going out to Sand Hills or whatever. He goes, put this record on. What? What record are you talking about? Because George Strait has so many records, it's hard to keep track of him. He knows what year and when. And it shows in the playing, man. Like you hear that honky-tonk thing happen in some place, and you're like, Mm. Where did that come from? You'd swear it's some eighty-year-old dude who's been playing yeah. forever. Like he's, he just embraced, it. and that's what makes me excited about that song. Is great writing by my good buddy Mike, uh, good harmonies and fun to sing. But like, man, Jimmy's playing is outstanding on that tune, and the next tune, all the boys solo on, and it's outrageous. No way. Oh, yeah. I've already heard the cuts of their solos, and I'm so excited. Like, it's hard to hold it back, you know. I was gonna mention too, like, is it you had talked about kind of like the conflict of like whether to hire a studio band mm-hmm, or not. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm no A&R guy or like mm-hmm. musician yeah, myself, yeah. but like listening to these two singles, like I, I'm not hearing any deficits, you know, Dude, when it, I, in the backbone in my spine, I, I would tell every, every 
schmuck out there trying to do what I do to hire my band, but they can't. <laughs> They're booked, sorry. That's why I keep them busy. <laughs> um, the amount of people that like were at the MCMAs or whatever, like, I've been trying to hire Sean and Greg and blah, 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 but I can't get them. I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're damn right you can't. Stay away from my boys. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, they're they're awesome dudes, and they're so easy to work with, and they're so damn good at their jobs. Yeah. It's scary. And so you obviously got the cabin this summer. You mm-hmm. got a little... Uh, I was gonna say we're gonna we were gonna talk about spring bear. Yeah, well, there's not much to talk about because I haven't seen one yet. <laughs> I shouldn't say that we saw one sow. Yeah, but yeah. It's been real quiet out there. Uh, <laughs> and I don't. I, I'm a little worried we won't have time to talk mm-hmm. about spring bear, but um, that's maybe cool. another time. <laughs> but like, what's what's the summer looking like for you guys? Because I know you guys booked yourself solid for yeah for like a stretch there in the winter. That was accidental. Yeah, it's <laughs> so stupid. We. Uh, <laughs> We know summer's the busiest season. And so we're like, well, we'll take a couple gigs in the winter and keep busy or whatever. But then it just, they keep calling. Like even today, we're sitting at soccer. And Ange, thank God Angie handles my calendar because I'm the worst. Yeah. You know, she, like she, all the dates that the band books or whatever goes through her. Because otherwise I'd be like, okay, I'm sure I don't have anything that day. Yeah, sounds and good. And she's like, you haven't been at the lake all summer. Oh, Yeah. Why do all this work and pay for this place if I'm not here? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. you haven't gone fishing yet. The boat's not even out. Oh yeah, right. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm a dummy because I just I just don't even think about it. I'm so unorganized that way. Yeah, so yeah. she handles that. But like, they just keep popping up. We were at soccer. I think Jeff sent us four new dates. Can you do these? Are we available? Blah blah blah. It's like wow. Like that just never stops. So when I say we pretty much turn down more, way more gigs than we take, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Um. The summer's nuts. It's gonna be great. I'm glad we booked a little bit of time off here and there. I know Blaine's going actually out to Calgary Stampede with Quinton. Um, oh, cool. So we've got a week and a half off there, thank God, because it's in the middle of July, which is kind of like prime Sean Tanning on the dock time. Yeah. Nobody wants to see that, but I need that. <laughs> is there any bass near the dock? That's what I want to know. No. The dock's three feet <laughs> all around it, you know. Um, I haven't caught Dilly. Actually, I've never caught a bass out there, which is embarrassing. Okay, so. yeah. I'm kind of enlisting some help. I think Chase Stooner's coming out in a couple of weeks okay, to yeah, kind of yeah, show yeah. me around. I've <laughs> only funny. been out there for years. <laughs> um, but like June and like June, we've got Dauphin. We're playing the Selkirk Waterfront in June. That big series oh, is coming cool. back. So I don't know. how uh, It's on the 10th of June. We're playing Selkirk Waterfront. We're playing Oak Bank Chicken Days, June 9th. That's a big one. I think we just booked a Gold Eyes gig in June. Um yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty much not Austin Thresherman's reunion again. Um, very happy to be going back there. And then who knows, like we're, you know, we're constantly booking new stuff. So it, it never seems to end, which is a good problem to have. I'm, yeah. I'm very happy. I hope the new single coming out does well, uh, especially leading into Dauphin because it's got kind of a good party atmosphere to it. And every couple of weeks we'll just keep releasing music. I'm hoping the album will be out. I think the final song we're going to release, or the second penultimate, whatever, is it's actually the first hunting song I've ever written. So I want it out before oh, hunting season. Here we go. I know. It's a rarity, right? It's, yeah. I should say, I, I got it in my head one day coming home from deer hunting. I was like, I need to write a hunting song. There's no hunting songs. It's tough. There's lots of fishing songs. Yeah. They're getting old, honestly, some of them. But like, yeah. they sound a little stretched, some of them. Yeah. Say. But there's not a lot of hunting songs. So like, I'm gonna, every album I'm going to put out is going to have a hunting song on it. I don't know how. Yeah. So I started writing this one, and it kind of devolved. But there's definitely hunting involved. <laughs> so like, <laughs> everything always devolves to women and trucks or something. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it 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 found its way there. But I I'm very fond of that one. I'm the looking trifecta, for that. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Country uh, music trifecta. 
Well, Sean, I, I feel like we we didn't get to bear hunting, but I feel like we covered a lot of ground tonight. That's okay. I don't know anything about bear hunting anyways. <laughs> <laughs> all good. All good. Maybe another time, though. Yeah, too. but. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Like I said, it's been a long time coming. Um, if folks wanted to connect with either Harvester Outdoors or the Sean Taylor band, like where's the best place to kind of like look for that information? Yeah. I, I mean, we're, I like to say we're active on all the socials. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they all go through my cell phone and I feel like I'm a geriatric old man on my cell phone. So, but I try to keep up with it. So like Instagram is, um, uh, the Sean Taylor band. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty straightforward. You'll find our very colorful graphic. It's I our, love the graphic. Thanks, the buddy. I, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's pretty saved by the bell. But like, I just, good. I love the colors and brightness and stuff. It's just a lot of country logos. Do you have keys? Do you have t-shirts or anything like that? Yeah, we do. And there's another run of them coming out. Okay. We gave a lot of them away last time I was at Cowboys because I had Keep way in the too loop. much I'll, drink. I'll, I'll get one off you. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, yeah. no, we'll, we'll get some. I think we're doing some baseball tees and some stuff like that and coming up and um, some women's tanks and stuff, I think, for the summer for yeah. all the festivals. So, so yeah, the Sean Taylor Band on Instagram. And we just got TikTok. No way. Yeah, I wasn't. I was fighting that one tooth and nail, but now apparently that's the only way musicians get any attention, which yeah. I'm like, I don't know, whatever. So I got TikTok, and I told the guys, guys, we got TikTok. They said, cool, you're going to sing on that? I don't know. I just watch everyone else's videos. Yeah, 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 we'll yeah. figure it out. But we will eventually be putting a lot of content on there. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. Again, the Sean Taylor Band. Just look it up. It's pretty easy to find us. Um, uh, same as Facebook. Uh, as far as Harvester goes, we also have Instagram. We have TikTok as well. Again, probably just locked it down when it came up because it seemed like a good idea at the time. We don't really use it, but we will someday. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook, obviously, we do have the website, www.harvesteroutdoors.ca. I'm pretty happy with the website. I'm pretty fond of it. Lots of uh, good stuff on there. You can shop online at the store that way. Um, And feel free to call the store anytime, uh, 888-321-5728. If you don't get somebody, you'll get the voicemail, and I swear I check it once a week at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and most importantly, if you, you are in Selkirk, like, be sure to stop by and yeah. say hi. Yeah, come on down, 506 Mercy Street. Um, we're open 10 to 5, Monday to Thursday, uh, 10 to 8 right now on Fridays, and then 8 a.m. to noon on Saturdays. The only reason we're open at 10 is because I like to take my kids to school in the morning, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and then I got to drive out, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, stop on by, come have coffee. Someone will have coffee for you there. <laughs> yeah. And have a visit, you know. And you might get the whole, like, uh, a cool gun or something, too. Yeah, cool gun, or if you're really unfortunate, the Sean Taylor band will be in the warehouse for rehearsing. <laughs> <laughs> that happens, too, so you never know. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Sean, and uh, I'm, I know I'll see you around, but hopefully the other folks do. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much for having me.